Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap on June 30th of 2021. It's our last WMR of June. Of Pride Month. Of Pride Month. I was uh, I was hoping we would get to talk about Heart, Gold, Soul, Silver today, because then we would have the three pillars of gayness, a Yaoi manga, a Yuri manga, and Pokemon. And Pokemon. <laughs> Those are the basic building blocks uh, of every gay person. So, you know, we would have had them all, but unfortunately... We're going to wait a little bit longer. I want to disagree with you, but because Pokemon is so prolific and has been for the past 25 plus years, I think that I would, in fact, be hard pressed to find a gay person in our peer group whom Pokemon was not a formative thing for. Exactly. So you can't find it. It's a building block. It's one of the one of the four pillars. I don't know what the fourth one is yet. We're going to discover that together. <laughs> okay. Maybe next Pride Month. Maybe. To all of our uh, L's, G's, B's, T's, Q's, I's, A's, and pluses. Um, yeah. I hope that you had a wonderful month. And uh, we, are we are proud to uh, support you every other month of the year, too. So There you go. Well said. I just wanted to make a joke about Pokemon. <laughs> I have a thing on my head right now to uh, completely change topics. Actually, I'm, I'm scared to touch it. It's right here. Yeah, I see yeah. it. It's uh, it's not acne. Um, so, Chris, you've known me for a long time now. Yeah, uh, uh, got to be about 11, 12 years now. Somewhere around there. So you, you should know by now that sometimes... Um, I hurt myself in really stupid ways. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, so what had happened was uh, the other night I was putting away laundry and uh, opened up a drawer and I, you know, tossed some clothes in the drawer and I dropped a pair of socks uh, when I was throwing stuff in the drawer. So I bent down to pick up the socks and I hit my head right on the corner of the pulled open drawer. Oof. Which I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has had a time when they, you know, they forget that something's above their head and they straighten up or they forget that something is, you know, at a certain level and they bend down into it. This was the corner of a wooden drawer. Oof. So You don't, you don't like that. That's no good. So... The actual impact that I felt was just like, you know, boom, you know, and an, ah, ah. And and so, you know, my reaction whenever I do this is just go ah, and just kind of wait for the wave of pain to pass. But um, Nicole comes into the closet where I put my clothes away and she's like, are you OK? Are you OK? And I take my hands away and just blood is flowing. down. Good Lord. Fingers. You really nailed yourself on the old noggin. <laughs> So and it's just because I happened to come down on a corner like that. She was terrified for a little bit, and but she, you know she helped me get cleaned up and stuff. The next day, I was perfectly fine. It's just that I was like, "Ow, my head!" for the rest of the night. I can imagine. But um, yeah. So if you you've ever wondered 
why do wrestlers cut open their foreheads when they want to get blood? It's because it the forehead bleeds really, really <laughs> easily. It's, it's like if you look at it, this is not a very big wound. It's just this tiny hole, and I just fingers bleh, bleh. <laughs> Did you feel like Ric Flair at least a little bit? A little bit, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think that you know maybe as I was as I was you know in front of the in front of the sink, uh, getting cleaned up and feeling sorry for myself that I was I was like, and that's why <laughs> you just started elbow dropping your jacket. <laughs> Instead of putting the rest of the clothes away. Ah! <laughs> Fight this laundry. You caused this. So, um, yeah, you know, just wanted to share with you guys, uh, what, especially now that it's... Uh, it, it's, both, it's it sounds like I'm, we've... I'm okay, but... It sounds like we both had harrowing health scares this past month, so... <laughs> I had a stroke, uh, you bumped your head. <laughs> basically the same thing. <laughs> But um, yeah, like I, I just wanted to share with you guys that because, like, hey, in case you ever feel like, oh, that Nixa seems like a smart, he's got, he's got his life together, he's a cool guy. I like, no, I I bang my head on things all the fucking time. <laughs> You're like a like a harem manga character. <laughs> like you're um oh god you're you're what, what's uh what was the teacher's name for we never learned? Oh, you've you already forgotten Yuika. No, the teacher. Oh, Kirisu. You're, you're like Kirisu. You've got your life together in so many ways. And then like when people see you, they're like, Nick, did you just bang your head on a drawer trying to put law? Like, Nick, are you bleeding profusely? You're like, what happened? Trying to put laundry away. How much more amusing of a character would Kirisu have been if instead of like, oh, she's such a slob. She's not really the perfect girl. If every time that Yuigo went to visit her, she's just like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> she was always hurt. <laughs> <laughs> significantly better i feel like yeah oh so yeah um man can you imagine though if like i had done that today instead of a few days ago it's like guys <laughs> i'll be with you in a second <laughs> <laughs> so this week and i tell c <laughs> i had to get color i had to get color to really put this podcast over <laughs> <laughs> to put this review of i tell c's last chapter over yeah, we've got so much important stuff to cover because there's like, you know, extra series and stuff we got to talk about. So I won't I uh, I but yeah, I've gotten my tangent done. So <laughs> there we go. Well, let's, let's not waste any time. Everyone, everyone wants to hear our thoughts on all these great series this week. Content warning, excessive blood loss. OK, My Hero Academia, Chapter 318, Reckless. Uh, speaking of hurting yourself unnecessarily. <laughs> So uh, we start this uh, chapter with a little bit of a phone conversation, mostly one sided between Endeavor and Deku saying, hey, uh, Deku, you need to, like, take it easy. You need to stop pushing yourself so hard. We don't have a lot of people that are going to be working for us, but we've got, you know, dispatches from foreign heroes that are going to be coming in. We can expand the operation and we can't lose you. We're, we're making a big plan out of all of this. So don't get yourself hurt. Don't run yourself ragged. And Deku's just like, I'm still on my feet. I'm fine. I can't give the villains time to prepare. I can't let anyone else get hurt besides me. 
do you think that I look cool in my really, really fucking smelly costume that I haven't stopped to wash in a month? Everyone's like, yeah, you know how we communicate with you via walkie-talkie? It's not because you're running away. It's because you stink. You're really smelly. Please take a shower. I understand things are tough for you right now. <laughs> for the love of God, just a quick shower. Wash your clothes. Something. Deku, come home. No, it's too important. I can't let you get hurt. So just come home long enough to put your clothes in the wash for one hour and then go back out of the truck. <laughs> Restock on deodorant. The other vessels of One for All have a little council inside Deku's head thinking about, oh, you know, is, is it my fault that he's like this? Are we failing at our job? <laughs> Are we not good at this? Are we bad previous Avatar incarnations? Uh, do we need to talk to Aang about what he's doing wrong and stuff? And uh, But... The original Holt wielder says the manifestation of our quirks has enabled him to act on his primary motivation. He now seeks to save everyone as a true superhero. And Mr. Um, second Vessel, I think. the I believe you know, so, yeah. Yeah, so with the flak vest and stuff. He says he's choosing the right path. Inaction is not an option, especially given the circumstances. That's how it is for those of us who bear one for all. Although, on the other hand, um, maybe he could use some help. Basically, basically uh, look, he's got to lead the life of a loner. Okay, maybe he could use some help. All right, maybe that stinky little boy could use a little help. <laughs> this stinky child could use a hand. Yeah, uh, so smelly boy Deku uh, stops some villains uh, really, 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 really quickly. Uh he fights them in um, two panels, and we don't even really see any of the action. Uh, a couple of bystanders that he has saved are freaked out by the fact that he has multiple quirks, of course. And they're like, are you working for all for one? Which indicates that, that by this point, seemingly a lot of people who have received multiple quirks from all for one are at large now, if the general public uh, knows about them. Hmm. Uh, and Deck is like, no. No, I don't work for all for one. And so they're like, good, bye! And they just run away because he... Uh, <laughs> Peace! Uh, he, he, he really smells bad. I mean, he's really scary looking and intimidating. Uh, so Deku goes off and is a, um, a grim dark boy for a little bit, thinking about uh, what he can do to stop Shigaraki and, and the League of Villains and all for one. And he's like, I've got to protect everyone. And uh, we get a little montage, a little collage of flashbacks, thinking about all the people that have influenced Deku and that he's trying to protect, uh, including Aizawa, which seems to be not quite on the same level as All Might, Gran Torino, his mom, Harry. But I don't know. Aizawa is his teacher. Yeah, he's, he's been he's been there. Uh, and then he thinks, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this so that we can all smile together again. And he thinks about uh, people in, in Class 1A who are all equally valuable to him. All of them. Even even you, Ojiro. Wait, is Ojiro in this? Wait, is Ojiro in He is. He's right there. Okay, yeah. hang on. Also, Mendeta uh, is giving him a, an arrow book, so... He's trying to help out and be a friend in the way that he knows how. <laughs> He's like, you know what you need right now? Pornography. I mean, no one would be able to tell because your costume is already skin yeah. so many stains. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, three, four, fifty, six, seven. Okay, all ninety of them are there. Okay, I was trying to figure out: is there a class one A person that isn't in here that I can make a joke about? But no, Ojiro's there. Fine. fine. <laughs> um, Deku just kind of like slumps over for a second, and then when he looks up, it's there's a new villain there. He's got a puppeteer gimmick. Yes, he does. He does. He's, he's a very puppeteer gimmicky guy uh, and he controls people's bodies with strings because he's a puppeteer uh, quirky guy uh, and so Deku's like I'm gonna get you and maybe you'll tell me where all for one is and the puppeteer guy says oh well let's see if you want to fight against the ignorant masses themselves and Deku's like oh I know who this guy is yeah he takes control of people well I can't use my power moves because I'll hurt people. Uh, and I don't have my gauntlets because, um, I don't know. <laughs> he just doesn't have to. Look, they don't, they'd only weigh me down. I, I don't freaking know. Yeah, they got too stinky. I even I had to take them off. So he just kind of like pauses and clearly is just like, I'm really tired and thinking is hard. So he just kind of freezes up for a bit and the puppeteered masses just swarm over him and start clawing at him beating him up while Dick is like it's okay I'll, I'll i'll do that i'll fix this i just i just need a chance to to think and then bakugo shows up and and, and he saves deku's ass he launches a point a uh, concentrated armor piercing shot at the puppeteer guy's head and uh seemingly just beats him immediately <laughs> so uh but um we get a finish of a conclusion of the thought that uh, the second uh, vessel of all for one had before, one for all uh, had before, which is oh, if there's only if there's anything that could bolster Izuku Midoriya right now, it would be him. And yeah, Bakugo is uh, is a true aunt as well. He's skipping out on classes to go and save the day. So, um, I liked a couple parts of this chapter. Um, I do love the little moment of Deku being the gigantic hero nerd that he is has now kind of gotten this like batman level intellect when it comes to his villain so he sees his and he's like ah dictator his quirk is despot here's his gimmick here's how he works but he's just too tired to do it and i do like bakugo showing up and just blowing him like i kind of enjoy the cheesiness that was dark deku for like two chapters when it was all to the point of like hey he's taking himself on a pretty self-destructive path uh, but we don't have to linger in that abject bleakness for too long because bakugo's here and, I mean, who knows, maybe it takes a while for them to get through to Deku or something like that, but I feel like Bakugo's not going to be the guy who just watches Deku be like, no, I've got to do this somehow, and he's like, well, I tried. <laughs> like, he's going to, you know, he's he's going to go after him. So, it was a pretty cool, like, hero showing up moment. So, to share a thought that's uh, mostly unrelated to this chapter, but vaguely tangential, uh, but, um, so... I actually had a thought, but because of the way that things have unfolded like this, I don't know if it's going to work out. Um, so my thought was because uh, I've been watching the uh, dub of the anime as new episodes have come out uh, for my hero. And we got uh, to the point uh, just after the class 1A versus class 1B uh, uh, fights where Shinso is taking part in it and they're giving him a try for the hero course. And they say after that, that uh, next year Shinso will probably be allowed to join the hero course. And so the thought that I had was, well, is that why 
they set that up is because Deku is leaving UA in order to do all this stuff. But then if he's doing that and Bakugo is also leaving, then it's like, okay, that's kind of a less convenient little hole in the class roster to have, have happen. If you know, there's just the one character we've set up that is going to join the hero course. But so I don't know. Maybe I was just wondering like, okay, is this going to be like a permanent thing that like, you know, someone is now in that 20 cl- uh, person class to replace Deku, but like Bakugo is also gone. Then like, are you going to replace th- him with someone else? Or, you know, if it's no longer a one for one thing, it doesn't seem quite as clean. I don't so. think it's necessarily that Bakugo left. I think the class in general is just looking for him. I imagine because he's on a, a cell phone talking to somebody and he says guys, so that seems to imply multiple people. So I think he probably has the whole class out looking for him. He's just, you know, the only capable member of the class to be established outside of Todoroki and sometimes mm-hmm. Uraraka and Tokoyami. So mm-hmm. it was like, and I guess Yagirozu kind of. So like, <laughs> we're going to show him off, but the other classes are looking for him too. I, I, I do agree, though. I think Shinzo probably did get added into the class, but I don't think Deku's rejoining, at least not until all this is kind of handled. So uh, look forward to uh, next chapter when everyone tells uh, Deku to fucking take a bath and uh, then lets him go and kill himself some more. So now I, I am. There's one thing. So I, I can't tell because normally when Baka goes in his hero uniform, he wears a mask and he's yes. not here. Uh, I'm having trouble telling if this is just how Bakugo normally looks or if we should be expecting to get time skip designs, basically. Uh, I don't know. Um. That is an interesting question. It does seem as though because he's got also like the neck thing uh, going behind him uh, and his shoulders are bare. So it looks like he's in a full uniform just without his head fin thingies and without a mask. Has so, it only been a month? I, I I couldn't remember how long it was in my mind. I, I thought it was several months had passed by. Yeah. But, I mean, people are, they're, they're always getting their costumes tweaked and stuff. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, we'll see. Um, right. Yeah, let's 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 go over to Undead Unluck. Yep, let's talk about Undead Unluck, Nick. Number 69. Nice, 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 nice. I'm going to uncover it. So last time, Fuko left to join Under as sort of a deal to get uh, Billy to kill Winter so that the world wouldn't pretty much be put into an apocalyptic event. Um, immediately everyone's like, this is crazy. Tatiana's like, what, wh- how could you just let her go? What are you going to do? And she grabs onto his tie and his tie rips and then yeah. all of his clothes disappear. Yeah. And the implication I would presume is that Clothy went with Fuko and that's oh. why his clothes aren't special anymore. So that way she has some manner of help on that side. That's what I assume. Otherwise. Oh, okay. They don't explicitly say it, but he had magic clothes and now he doesn't. So I'm like, all right, she, she must have the magic clothes now. Um, yeah. Well, now that this, now that the seasons have been destroyed, there's no need for a clothing. Uh, hang on. Um, uh, <laughs> Nick might be onto something wonderful here, guys. <laughs> you see, because uh, clothing designers uh, make releases uh, based on uh, uh, seasons. So it can't design anything for him if different seasons don't exist. Mm, this is science. Or, or, he's, or, he's just or fashion. Yeah. 
Uh, and he basically says, like, look, I let her go because I trust her. And sometimes long distance relationships ain't all bad. Uh, Tatiana is also like, what happened to your clothes? But we don't actually follow up with that. Uh, Annie just says, Jews, I don't appreciate appreciate you marching in there alone. You need to rely on us a little more. Stop trying to carry the load all by yourself. And they're like, all right, well, what's the plan now? And it's like, yeah, cool. Well, we, we just got to defeat Winter, so... We're gonna go get Fuko back. Like, that's, you know, I don't give a shit about a promise. <laughs> like, they're gonna do their end of things and then we're gonna get Fuko back, basically. Um, and we spend the rest of the chapter then following Fuko as she's led by Tella to where Burn literally just snaps Winter in half. And uh, he's oh, like, That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Billy's just like, I didn't think I'd get the girl herself. Do you realize just how important you coming here really is? This goes beyond a mere copy. I now have exclusive control of unluck. So, you know, sucks to suck, but you gave yourself up and did it all in exchange for the worthless lives of humanity. And Fuko immediately bows and says, yes, thank you so much for keeping your promise because she's a very nice person and she's good. So like, all right, well, winter's gone, autumn's weakened. Now the world's kind of going back because the only season left is spring, basically. So and then she gets distracted by a dandelion. Yeah, who does it? <laughs> You know, uh, so basically they, they lead her away to where their secret hideout is. Uh, they're going to do some research on her on luck ability. And she's also very careful to be like, don't touch my hands or bear scan at all because mm -hmm. you'll probably die. And we see the, uh, the round table in a, a different orientation. It's now, uh, just sort of slammed up against a wall and the chairs are kind of positioned around it in a very wacky style. Some of them hovering in the air, it yeah. looks like, as well. So do we want to, like, find, like, a nice... Do we want to, like, clear some of this debris and rebels so that we have a nice flat space to put this table? Nah, it's, it's, no time. It's fine. It's, <laughs> fine. it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But we have to put our chairs around it. We'll make them float around it. <laughs> like, well... You could have made the rocks float away and put the table out here. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, so we see the group around there, uh, and some faces we don't see before. Uh, Bunny shows up to talk to Fuko, and is just like, oh, you came to play, I'm so happy. Um, I don't know. What's up? Yeah, they say, I don't, they say a goo and stuff like that. Uh, Lotla's there, and is just like, oh, Andy isn't here with you? And basically we get an exchange of different characters. Creed's the one who shows up, and is just like, whatever happened to the ball, brat? Don't tell me they kicked the bucket. And they have a little bit of a confrontation. Creed takes off his hand and there's a minigun underneath it. And he says, hmm, if they, it's your friend, right? So if I kill you, they'll come to me. And there's some tension until like Rip shows up and he's like, yeah, how would you like a wound? Not even those stitches could heal, you know, because my girlfriend's gotten involved at this point. <coughs> or I guess not girlfriend, sister of girlfriend, basically. Um, so he's like, Hey, what are you going to do? You know, we're going to have some tension here. And then who should show up at Billy to be like, hey, nobody move. This is <laughs> this. He actually uses unmove on them to stop them from doing it. He's like, hey, save that energy for the fight with Spring. Look, we're not union. We don't have a well-mannered team. We kind of don't like each other, but we're all in this together. And he says, if you don't want to die, you best behave yourself in this group. I'm going. You know, and she just says, welcome to under. And Fuko thinks to herself, yeah, I'm going to uncover it. Mr. Billy's version, vision of justice. And we see under 
as it is full at this point. There's several new characters in yes. here. Uh, I think there's three of them we haven't seen before. Um, it is also a little bit interesting because they can't, they have the table, uh, but they don't have the full number of members, even with Fang, to host the table. So I wonder if there might be someone else we haven't seen yet, or if someone else, or if they were just planning to kidnap people. I mean, I, I guess theoretically, with Fuko, and then if Fang was still there, they would have 11, but... Yes. That's, uh, I believe that is the implication, is that Fuko is supposed to be member 11 now. Okay. So there we go. We see the rest of the group. We got some designs for them. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. I uh, I still don't really know how I feel about Bunny in general. <laughs> um, like, he hasn't shown up enough for him to grate on my nerves too much. But look at him. They definitely feel like the character you're going to just despise the living shit out of, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This felt like a very Kingdom Hearts chapter. Like, this felt like meeting Organization 13, basically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> a bunch of characters I've uh, only ever seen, like, once or twice or never at all staying around a table and, like, cloaks and shit like that. Yeah. It's also weird that Under has, like, their their weird medallion thing. But it's like, you c there are people who have it as, like, a pin. There are people who have it as a hairpin. There's a guy who has it as a visor but the visor doesn't have a middle portion it's like two triangles which means it would be a terrible sunblock mm -hmm. yeah it, it would honestly be the worst um but maybe that's his style you know maybe he's like hey we just killed summer i've never got to worry about the sun in my eyes <laughs> so but yeah he just uh, snapped it off won't need this anymore and he threw it away it's a very functional chapter, but there is a little bit of uh, setting up stuff if you're, you know, catch certain details. I didn't put together what was happening with uh, Andy's uh, outfit thing, but I was I was definitely going I was like, why isn't it reforming? <laughs> so I didn't I just didn't put it together. But it's like, you know, you can't not notice when that happens because yeah. he's naked for the rest of the chapter. Uh, someone's saying that the blonde girl is apparently Andy's swordmaster. Uh, and I do feel like I've seen that one design. The person with, like, sort of the straw hat. I feel like. Cause... Uh, yeah. I think you're right, actually. Yeah. Ugh. Ninja was the one who pointed out. So, pot potentially. Maybe we have seen a couple of these characters in flashbacks mm -hmm. and things like that. Cool stuff. Let's move on. Yes, so we are on, uh, what are we on now? Kaiju number eight. Kaiju number eight. Which, to note, for at least the foreseeable future, is going to be moving from a three and four schedule to an every other week schedule. So, we'll just, you know, get overloaded every two weeks with it and Spy Family. Cool. <laughs> it couldn't be off weeks. No, no. <laughs> Kaiju number eight, chapter 38. I'm not Kaiju number eight. I'm Kafka Hibino. Says Kafka Hibino. He who is named Kafka Hibino. I wish I could hear another character say Kafka Hibino. Uh, is is uh, Kikoru nearby by chance? It's just saw him. Kafka Hibino! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kafka Hibino is at the uh, feet of Isao, who is, you know, beat up but alive because Kafka gained control of himself as his Kaiju form disintegrates away. And Isao says, put away your weapon, Narumi. 
And uh, one of the other soldiers uh, was clearly ready to jump in at like any second uh, in case things got even worse for Isao. And Narumi is holding. How do you practice fighting with a weapon like this? It's it's like someone saw an exacto knife and was like, what if this was also a Klingon Batleth? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's about as close as you can get. I don't know. This is, it looks like it may be, I can't tell if that's just a rod or if it also has like a gun cannon on it. Yeah. It's hard to tell. I mean, it, that could be a gun. Yes. But I don't know. He's, he's clearly wielding it as a bladed weapon currently. Uh, but uh, Isao kind of gets him to back down, and Narumi puts his weapon on his back. How do you do that without, like, because there's no, he's, there's this giant, it's like an eight foot long blade that's not being sheathed in any way. <laughs> uh, Maglocks. like walk into things and chop off the tops <laughs> of the shelves and stuff. Uh, it does also have number one on it, so we can only presume that this is maybe another uh, kaiju weapon. Possibly. So, Nurumi takes off his gas mask thing and uh, reveals that uh, he's got anime character hair. Uh, it's got a lot of multicolored streaks in it, and he has these weird cross-shaped patterns in his eyes. I was going to we... say, I thought he had anime eyes more than anime hair. The hair, I was like, yeah, whatever. But the eyes, I was like, all right, special boy. Uh, he, he's got real main character energy, this guy. And yeah. he's looking at the main character right now, so... <laughs> Uh, this is apparently the Defense Force's first division captain, so presumably really, really, really big deal, at least on par with Mina and as a fighter, and presumably more powerful if he's the first division captain. That's what Bleach has taught me. Uh, so, although then again, first division vice captain was, uh, hmm, I don't know. But, I mean, he had Bankai. I don't know. <laughs> Was he better than Renji, though? Hmm. So. Uh, the Narumi says to Isao, I assumed you were intent on dying. And Isao's like, no. <laughs> I was <laughs> testing him. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, he says, there's a chance that number eight's core is damaged. So let's get the medical team here. And Narumi's like, what the hell are you? What are you planning on doing with him? So apparently, like, nobody knows what the hell Isao is actually planning. Uh, and he... We see him address the council, presumably very shortly afterward, because he's got bandages on his face, covering up his scratches and cuts and scrapes. And, he's, and he decrees number eight will be used by our forces without being converted to weaponry. And all the other members of the council are like, what are you talking about? It's too dangerous. We, we can't we can't leave that to that. But Isao says, eh, he's controllable. Uh, the fact that, look, he's been on assignment with the third division for months and uh, it's not certain that we can produce, reproduce the level of power he displayed, even if he were converted. And there's a chance that we don't have a compatible user. You know, it'll just be in storage, just like number six is. <sighs> so it's, you know, there's a couple of things there that you dropped. Nice world building and stuff. But also pretty logical points to justify this most unorthodox decision. And uh, another council member with an, a, with an eye patch says, there's no precedent for this. And he says, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to suck, nerd. We're doing it. 
Uh, and he talks about how, you know, 10 years ago, we faced a series of cataclysms involving number six. Over 200 officers and three captains lost their lives. And the <laughs> guy who was watching stuff with Kikoru before is like, yeah, and your wife died too. <laughs> like the dude who was like, well, the audience needs to know this little bit of information. So I shall drop it in the most inconvenient and awkward way possible. Interrupting the captain, like, your wife died too there, you know? Like, I hadn't forgotten. In case you forgot, sir, your wife died in that attack. Yes. To this that room. Was a deliberate omission. Thank you. To this room of people who all know this detail, probably, I will remind you in addition to those 200 officers, your wife died too. I mean, this is why, you know, when exposition is being given, you almost always have a character who doesn't know what's going on having things explained to them. So having exposition dropped in this precise way amongst the council of the strategist for the entire organization, whose job it is to know everything. <laughs> it's great. Cause like everything else is up to that point. Is like, oh, cool. World building the way they're talking about this stuff. And he's citing things as examples. Like, and your wife died too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's almost been a week since I stopped crying about that. <laughs> Uh, and Isao basically just lays out like, we don't have a lot of officers who can take on Dai Kaiju class threats and even fewer against Kaiju class threats. So we need to use his, his extraordinary powers in order to have a chance of combating potential threats ahead. Um, and I patch do just kind of like who objected to this before is like, even so, we stand opposed. Well, sucks to suck. Whatever. <laughs> we cut to Kafka then, uh, who had, who we briefly see in like a back to tank kind of thing, but then he is uh, dreaming, and uh, he's dreaming about uh, his childhood, and he sees Mina cry. This moment, I was like. Ah, you know what I said last week that we really needed a Mina flashback to suddenly like get invested in this character. It's like finally it's happening. And the next page he wakes up. It's like, God damn it. Just give me two more pages. Come on. <laughs> Cause she's crying and she's upset about someone apparently named Miko uh is has has died. Uh is Miko a sister? Is is Miko a pet? Who who is who is Miko? Uh but Kafka just remembers like, oh, yeah, this is when we took Miko to the crematorium. The kaiju, the ones who made Mina cry this much. I thought they were all irredeemable. And that's why I decided if I was going to turn into a kaiju in both mind and body, I'd rather die as a human. So that does actually provide a little bit more insight to why that was the thing that let him gain control, which was specifically like, I don't want to turn into a thing that causes people I care about pain and suffering as opposed to something more specific like i don't want to kill kikoru's dad in front of her that is <laughs> the example of what i'm trying not to do but the more general idea is what pulled him out yes the the thing at the core of it basically do uh, pardon the pun uh and uh Isa, no i'm it, not gonna pardon the pun i want you to acknowledge it and accept it it wasn't an intentional pun but i do apologize it was, for uh, it was good though Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now I want everybody, look, I don't know where you're at right now. Let's say this. I want everybody to give a round of applause wherever you're at. Apologize. Uh, apo applaud that great uh, pun. Some person. Thanks, subconscious brain. <laughs> uh, so 
Isao is just watching Kafka while he sleeps, I guess. Because <laughs> he's sitting down, just like, okay, arms full and stuff. He's been watching him for a while. <laughs> so, or unless, you know, like Isao is like, you know, nodding off in the chairs. Like, I hope this fucker wakes up soon. Like, oh, oh, he's awake. Oh, for, for, for. <laughs> That'd be great. It's like a shot of him going into his wallet. Like, oh, you're awake. <laughs> just buying a round of drinks for everybody. <laughs> Uh, Kafka's first reaction is just relief that he didn't murder Isao's father in front Isao's father, Kikoru's father in front of her. Uh, and then he, after a you know beat, he realized like, oh, so you let me live? Does that mean you acknowledge me as a human, sir? And Isao says, you know, if your chest had been housing a frail human heart, you would probably have died back there. So I'll be blunt. Uh, you are a kaiju. But I'll put deciding whether or not you're a threat to us on hold. <gasps> Kafka Hibino runs in the family. There you go. They all have it. They, maybe that's why they're like, to really drive this point home, Kikoru's going to say your full name seven <laughs> times in the next three chapters. Would it be more weird? Would Isao, do you think, find it more objectionable for her to address him as Isao Shinomiya than as, <laughs> than as daddy when they're in military mode? I don't know. Uh, but uh, Isao says, look, a lot of people are really pissed off that I'm letting you live. So in order to survive, you have to show your usefulness to us. And so Kafka is a little bit upset about this because like, uh, he's letting me live, but I'm basically just going to be a living weapon. But he says, I consider myself a defense force officer even now, and I swear I will rec make you recognize me as a defense force officer. And then the two of them just kind of look at each other. They're just going to stare determinedly. There's no expression change or anything. Uh, Kaiju number nine is out there, and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's molded. And um, he's going he's gonna to go and uh, do some bad things. He says specifically, I'm going to take the kaiju power that's fallen into human hands and give it back to the kaiju. Which bum, is bum, an bum. odd little way of wording it. If he's talking, because he's talking about it in the third person on both fronts there. Well, in my mind, I was like, is this supposed to be an implication he's going to try to get some of those weapons that are specifically built off of kaiju power and get them back to the kaiju? But then we see he's just out by a residential tower so i don't know if that's like a base or i don't is that where bina lives i don't know um it might be I, where... I know she has an apartment i can't remember it might just be where uh the human he was posing as lives mm. but uh I, I just thought it was odd that he said you know i'm going to you know take that power and give it back to the kaiju almost as if he doesn't belong to the kaiju, but I don't know. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We'll see what uh, number nine's up to then in a couple weeks. Yeah. So that is the next uh, step of the story that we are getting into now. So. All right. Spy Family Mission 48. We've had uh, some mostly action packed chapters the last couple of times out. Now it's time for a very jokey chapter, but in the same setting. Uh, it, but uh, yeah, last time, of course, Anya saw that uh, Yor and uh, the butcher guy, who uh, looks basically like Rasputin, uh, were probably going to get into a fight. And she realizes, oh, no, 
if Papa sees this, then it's all over. It's all over. And uh, Lloyd's coming out. I was like, oh, look, Anya, I bought you that keychain you wanted. Cheer up. And Anya's just looking at back behind her like, Argh! and Lloyd's like, oh, no, what have I done? Did I do something wrong? I thought this was the good thing to do. What do I do? Um, and then he just, Lloyd's such a dork. So <laughs> that is the point of this of this opening. Lloyd's a dork. Um, he thinks that he's screwing up as a parent and that's the real reason that the handler sent him on this mission was to learn to be a better dad for the sake of the case so he's like I've got to be the perfect happy-go-lucky fun-loving dad um, for world peace (laughs) so the girl who runs the uh, gift shop uh, is trying to upsell Lloyd on everything and she's like, oh, do you want this T-shirt? How about this tie? Do you want this? So they all get caps for both of you. She's she's really trying to get that uh, to get the that extra commission money. And so Anya realizes this is an opportunity. Uh, so she's like, you know, adventures are supposed to be fun and exciting, uh, Papa. And uh, when people are having fun, they want stuff like skeleton keychains and wooden souvenir swords. But you're you're not having fun at all. And when you're not having fun, you drag me down. If you want me to have fun, then you should be dressed from head to toe like you're having fun. And Lloyd realizes that this is his mission. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so Lloyd's like, of course, I must transform myself just as when I get into a disguise role. I will become the quintessential fun and upbeat father. Which is exactly how fun and upbeat fathers think. That's what they do, yeah. So he gets really serious and asks to try on all the clothes and stuff. And Anya's picking out even more stuff for him to try on. And uh, then he goes into the dressing room and Anya is like, all right, great. That'll give that'll give Mama a chance to, to get, you know, to get away from from here. So he doesn't see. Uh, and Lloyd quick changes immediately because he's really good at that stuff. But fortunately, Anya can hear his thoughts coming from out of the room. And she hears him think, but I don't get it. I mean, these are terrible clothes. They go they go horribly together. What am I doing wrong? I must become a master of becoming a, a stupid, fun-loving dad. Anya goes outside to watch the fight because she has no sense of self-preservation, I guess. No, not particularly. The assassin tries to strike down Yor and the targets, but Yor senses the danger at the last minute, trips both of them up and gets them down to fall under the uh, kumaitachi that the guy has. And uh, so the two of them start fighting literally just right out in the open, which, of course, takes Yor by surprise by because we're just surrounded by people. He's just pulling his cover. What the hell? And, you know, an audience starts to get drawn in by the fact that they're fighting. And so Anya realizes she's the cover for this and so she starts going oh this is so cool what a fun circus performance well making a very bizarre expression on her face i don't like it when her eyes look like this it's <laughs> terrifying and i also acts like she can't recognize your because of her mask and so yours like oh thank goodness uh and they start to fight uh your is kind of hesitant to uh get get in on this but she's like what do i do what do i do uh she's worried about blowing their cover by acting like this isn't a, a street performance 
But eventually she realizes what she was going to do. And we get this really cool shot of her lunging in like a mad panther kind of thing. Yes, very cool. Uh, while uh, the assassin uh, tries to attack her with his chain and she smashes one of her hairpin needle things down into the ground through one of the links in the chain so the guy can't pull it back to him and defend himself. And then she just ties him up with his own chain and dances around him, flips around, and smacks him on the some pressure points, it looks like, and uh, stuns him while he's tied up in his chain. And he kind of slumps over at the same time she takes a bow, so it looks like they're bowing at the end of her performance. And everyone claps, yay! And uh, then they... She leaves so that she can get her Garotargus to safety. So Anya goes back into the gift shop and she's like, ah, mission accomplished. That was my greatest, most heroic adventure yet. Good for you, Anya. Lloyd comes out of the changing room. And <laughs> this is such a look. <laughs> this is like when you've got all the best gear in the game, but you're like going for maximum stats and nothing goes together. Oh, yeah. So you just all the most ridiculous stuff. Uh, and But he also has tried to act like he's the coolest looking motherfucker as well. So he's got like sunglasses on, but he's also got like a freaking conch shell on his head. And he's like, I'll take everything. And you can tell that the attendant lady is just like, oh, you look great. He's just lying. He's like, yes. So much, so much money. Yes. I'm going to be so rich after this. And uh, Lloyd's like, I've done it. I look like the perfect, fun, upbeat father. And I just immediately looks at him and is like, you're so uncool. <laughs> just bluntly, Aww. you're so uncool. <laughs> And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> it is. It, it's a fun chapter. It's not, like, world-shattering, but it was a fun little action chapter that had a pretty amusing joke. I do love him, like, walking out of there with all of his big dumb outfits on, his little octopus shoes, and his hermit crab hat. It's not as good as the last time that a fitting room got involved in uh, Spy Family, unfortunately, where Anya just came out in the more and more ridiculous outfits, and eventually people were like, I don't really know what's going on anymore. What was I even trying to do? <laughs> But uh, it is a nice little. I do love that that dynamic of Lloyd is perfect at everything, but he's a terrible at actually being a family guy. So, yeah. <clears throat> all right, Nick, <sighs> let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter One Forty Nine: Powers Lost. Uh, we get a cover page of Rebecca, uh, and her stockings are so sheer you can even see like the full outline of her feet. It's not going to be the only time Rebecca's feet are going to be the focus of this chapter. So this is it's, just setting um, us up. It's it is actually kind of like a thing through most of the chapter. So, <laughs> uh, so I can't remember this guy's name. I'm just going to call him hypnotist guy. Hypnotist guy is like, cool. Well, I made all your friends do their their dumb things. So now I'm going to make you guys kill yourselves. And he just says, now die. And Rebecca and Wise start choking themselves and they're like oh no but then they're like oh but i kind of like it and i was like all right so we're getting this choking fetish in basically yep. um and i auto, auto erotic asphyxiation yeah is that usually needs to be assisted though because can you choke yourself out to death i mean if you hang yourself yeah uh yeah it's... but i mean like with your hands like if i just did this can i can, could you kill yourself with that it would be in. I don't think it's actually possible. 
because okay. you would fall unconscious. Yeah, and like then you'd lose the your strength. grip would naturally loosen and you'd be able to breathe again. All uh, right. Even if you had the interpret the you know ability to actually harm yourself to that extent, because usually you know your nervous system just like won't allow it. So. Uh, so yeah, they're they're very excited about that, and I think it's I can't remember if it's Lyca or Lyra, the uh, girl with the two tone hair and two different eye colors. She shows Lyra, sorry, she shows up and is like, "Hey, stop! Give me the girl. The show's about to begin, and these this is exactly what we need to give to the people to lift their spirits. And besides, look at her; she'd be perfect for the show." So uh, immediately. They make a, a pet fetish thing where it's like, all right, you're the loyal dog. Get on all fours. Bark like a dog. We're going to go have fun. And Weiss is, is just on the ground dying. And the hypnotist guy is like, looks like my fun's over. And then Weiss's watch goes off. and It's a setup complete. And boom, he's equipped with arsenal. And you just get uh, what, like, what, what just happened there? Like, yep, in the nick of time, I figured out your hypnosis is actually just electrical single signals. That's how it works on the robot. So in actuality, it's just reverse ether gear that forcibly reconfigures another person's ether. And even though you did, were going to do that, I set my watch up on a timer, and now it blocks all of your signal. So we're going to beat you now. And uh, this is my favorite part of the whole chapter because oh, it's 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 mine too. <laughs> because hypnotist guy's like, well, you may have done that. Now I shall get in my giant robot. <laughs> I actually <laughs> laughed like when I was reading this part. So why is he have a robot suit? Because it, it it sounds very funny. Of like, all right, we want to fight for Arsenal. Arsenal fights in a big robot suit. Who should who should he fight? It's like, oh, he should fight somebody else in a big robot suit. They're like, well, we don't have anybody who has a big robot suit. We have a hypnotist guy. Could Arsenal fight a hypnotist guy? Like, yes, absolutely. Uh, what's going to happen? How's the exchange going to go? Uh, the hypnotist guy is going to get a giant robot suit. <laughs> it's so silly because it has... No it's funny on multiple levels to me because, first of all, it has literally nothing to do with his power set as established at this point. Uh, and secondly... It made me think about the fact that all the Iron Man movies, people criticize, like, why does Iron Man just always just fight a version yes. of himself but bigger? And so this is, like, the most Iron Man thing for the very obvious Iron Man knockoff that Arsenal is. <laughs> <laughs> he just randomly fights another Iron Man guy, even if it's the least fitting possible <laughs> way that the villain can go. Like, you'd almost expect there to be some link. Like, oh, this is Hypnosis Bot or something. No, it's just a big it's a big robot, and it's called the Sea Devil. He's like, we're going to have a robot showdown. <laughs> yeah, like, imagine if instead it were a matter of, like, you know, oh, he injects you with a virus or something like that. And so Weiss, like, uh, tries to fight back and it takes the form of him fighting against a robot, but it's actually in a virtual world. And if he breaks it, then he'll get take control and break out of it. And he'll be able to beat up the guy without any powers. Exactly. But no, he just has a mech suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut over Lyra's uh, led Rebecca into, I guess, her changing room and is like, hey, take off all your clothes. We get a couple weird cheesecake shots. Uh, Lyra's like, all right, I'm going to undo that hypnosis for you after you get changed. But Rebecca passes out before that can happen. And she's like, oh, I guess the hypnosis was too effective. Well, I'll change her clothes for. And then there's a shot of Rebecca's legs. She's like, ooh, what beautiful legs. So at the time that this happened, I was there just like, 
okay, we get it. You like you like legs. I get it. But no, it turns out there's an important reason for it. There's a reason. <laughs> so we cut over. Rebecca wakes up and she's in bed. She's like, huh? Where am I? And Shiki's there. And he's like, good morning. Rebecca's like, are you Shiki? Are you older? And he's like, I'm so glad you're awake. And then Master Noah's there, who I thought was evil, but I don't remember the plot line to that character. So <laughs> I'm just going to be like, hey, he's a good guy. I don't know. Uh, Master Noah just says that is you are not the Rebecca from our time, but you have nothing to worry about. I suspect you made an unconscious time leap. It should be momentary. You will return to your own time soon. And Becca's like, does that mean I'm in the future? How? And they're like, well, strictly speaking, this is just one of the many possibilities that branch out from your time. But you did come specifically to this time, and there may be some significance in that. Shiki's like, wait, so she hasn't woken up? Becca's like, what do you mean woken up? He's like, ah, yes, our world's Rebecca is in a coma, and she can't use Cat Leaper because she lost her legs! The worst possible future! <laughs> and we, Rebecca looks down, and she has uh, robot legs. Or at least oh. robot feet. Right. Remember the last worst possible future that Ian Zero featured? You Wasn't know. it like Hamora was like a prostitute? And <laughs> Rebecca, no. Shiki got shot in the head. And... Shiki got shot in the head. Rebecca was Dragon Joe's prisoner, whom he was constantly perving on. While she, because he wanted her cat leaper didn't, powers. Didn't they make Hamora work in that strip bar or whatever? You're right. They did <laughs> imply they're going to do that. And Weiss got his arm chopped off. By comparison, Rebecca's in a coma and she also lost her legs. Yeah, that's bad. But I'm sorry. That's way better than <laughs> Shiki got shot in the head. <laughs> it's the worst possible future, Nick, because she can't use her, her cat leaper ability anymore. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of find this interesting, if only because it creates some threat. I mean, you have a character who can constantly jump forward in time, and as a writer, that's one of like the hardest things to write around, because like, why is this character not constantly just go back in time? And it's like, oh, now there's like this unnerving scenario where she's lost her legs. Um, it would probably be better if it didn't innately also have this fetishistic element of like, Oh, Rebecca's beautiful legs. And after I turned her into a dog and made her strip in front of me, I'm going to take those beautiful legs and I I don't know, I guess nail them to a wall. I don't know what the fuck she wants them, but I guess she could do something with them. The, the, does Hero know about amputation fetish? Because, I mean, if he does, then then he's going to it's going to stop being like a scary thing. And then it's just going to be really uncomfortable <laughs> to read this series. I don't know. Every every so often you surprise me with the new one because I feel like this is the first time we got a choking fetish. Like beyond, I guess maybe people have been choked before, but this is the first time someone's been explicitly choked and says like, "Ooh, I like this. Ooh, this is so hot." Yeah, because <laughs> usually they just kind of going. So. Yeah, it's All right. I, I honestly, the moment of this chapter is just the hypnotist guy showing up with another giant robot. That was that was what made the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's great oh I, I i i really i hope that i remember this chapter well because i feel like every time that we go to look back on it, it was like why did it happen I'm just gonna laugh again so yeah we're, we're there's gonna be a point in time after eden zero ends and i'm like nick i'm gonna can you name this random villain from a random group and you're gonna be like i remember that guy he had a giant robot for no reason <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so we go from uh yeah we go from that to a new series 
from Weekly Shonen Jump. We uh, have a series ending this week and a series beginning. This uh, series is The Hunter's Guild Red Hood by Yuki Kawaguchi, which won the Golden Future Cup uh, last around uh, just about a year ago, a little under that. Uh, so this is a very much kind of a Grimm's fairy tale hunters kind of thing. We've seen privacy is vaguely like this in the past. Um, but let's get into it. It's chapter number one, the red huntress. And we see, uh, this. Okay. I have to tread carefully here. <laughs> so I, I have to acknowledge. So, uh, the female lead of this series kind of has a, a Nellie L from bleach kind of thing to her. She shows up initially. She has the appearance of a little girl cause she's kind of a red riding hood type of character. Um, but then when she gets serious, she goes into battle form. And just like Nellie L, she turns into a tall, buxom uh, beauty. Yeah. Most of the reactions on Twitter that I saw <laughs> when I clicked on Red Hood when this chapter came out Sunday were people going, oh, man, she's hot. So <laughs> I, I that's the reaction I've seen. I'm sorry. So. I, it's I, I find her design to be very boring. I, I, if she didn't have gigantic breasts, I feel like no one would even be talking about it because it's just a normal design. Otherwise, she wears um, a shirt and pants and a red hood. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, so we see her starting off this chapter talking to uh, our actual protagonist and saying, have you ever seen a dragon boy? And uh, he, he replies, well, dragons only exist in fairy tales. And she says, no. Long ago, dragons flew in the skies, but we exterminated them. 500 years ago, we killed the last one. And uh, this isn't setting up what you think it's going to set up when they come back. You mean Burn later. the Witch Season 2 started, it Nick? Sounds, <laughs> it sounds like it's going in that direction. But it turns out the actual dragons part of it has very little to do with what she's talking about. So most of our... our our chapter takes place uh, around this incident that's happening in this uh, this small hamlet out, uh, called Kasuka Village. And uh, our main character is this uh, kid with uh, red braided hair, and he's got a, a flintlock kind of musket thing. And uh, the town is being harassed currently by a werewolf, uh, They, which is exactly the, you know, the kind of werewolf that you uh, think of. Human turns into a wolf, eats other people. And uh, as we learn later on, a big problem is that because they turn into people, they're really difficult to detect. So who there is a wolf among us who is slaughtering it, you know, so. Uh, the mayor of the town is this big older guy who's got kind of a uh, he's he's a woodsman. Uh, <laughs> there are Red Riding Hood connections all throughout this story, but. Uh, he's a woodsman and he encouraged everyone saying, Hey, you know, we lost, we've lost six people this year to a werewolf already. So I've sent a request to the hunters guild, which is this legendary organization founded by apparently the original red hood, maybe red riding hood who are a guild of mercenaries. They hunt monsters. And so everyone's like, Oh man, but they're, they're really expensive. They're really greedy. But the mayor says, don't worry, everyone. I sold all my sheep and I sold my house too, so I will pay for everything. By the way, can I stay with someone tonight? <laughs> someone needs to take care of me now. And my wife, apparently. Yes, yes. So, 
I mean, I mean, instantly do like this guy because it's like everything's gonna be okay. Can I crash on someone's couch? <laughs> so it's good stuff. Uh, so some time goes by. The hunter shows up, and her name is Grim. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? Uh, so this is our little no, red riding hood character. What what is it a reference to? Grimm's fairy tales. Oh, I thought it was a reference to the grimace, which didn't make any sense at all. It's like she's neither purple nor large. How, how much better would this series be? <laughs> oh, <laughs> kill this werewolf, and then he pulls out a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> no hands, like no fingers. Just <laughs> it's ba- who can barely move his hands around as <laughs> <is> killing monsters. <laughs> Um, so of course everyone's put up by the fact that she's a little girl. They're like, oh, are they really going to save us? Uh, is this really going to be worth the money and stuff? Uh, and, but she's very, you know, saying like, hey, by the way, I need half my payment up front. So can I, can I get that? And, uh, the boy, bar- you know, butts into this and says, all you care about is money. You know, you're not, you're not, well, how can we trust you? You know, how can we trust you protect us? And Grim just turns on him and says, listen, boy. We're not heroes. And she makes a very good point, which is we got to eat. We have a skill. People need it. And we need to survive based off of it. So we get paid to do it. That's basically it. Yeah. So um, he keeps on getting upset at her. And uh, people are like, oh, no, no, no. I'll calm down. He's, yeah. And then they say, listen, you know, forgive him. Velo lost his parents years ago to a werewolf. And the mayor killed that werewolf and took revenge for their deaths. And ever since, Velo has wanted to be a strong, kind huntsman, just like the mayor. And it's uh, the mayor's wife who was saying all this and explaining all of this. And she says, yeah, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but that's what he values and that's what's important to him. But the mayor assures Velo and says, if you accept money for a job, you accept responsibility for it as well. So we'll leave this to her. And uh, they say, hey, Velo, you know this place. If you're so concerned about her, you be her guide. Show her to the mountain hut where the last incident happened. He's guiding her around. Uh, Grim says that she thinks that the village is still in the, uh, the werewolf is still in the village somewhere. Uh, still, it's not coming from out of the mountains or coming out of the woods, which Velo thinks that it is. And uh, essentially what we get is that she has figured out what is going on because of her knowledge of how werewolves tend to operate. But Velo is naive because he is too trusting of everyone in the village. Uh, so we get a brief uh, chase sequence. Someone, you know, screams out from a hut somewhere. Uh, Grim goes rushing off to try and uh, f- uh, find it. Velo falls a little bit behind, but he says, hey, hey, you don't know where you're going because I know my way around here and you don't. Uh, they come to the scene too late. Uh, and meanwhile, Grimm is talking about like, no man is ever truly good. No man is ever truly evil, uh, kind of stuff, you know, just getting you used to the gray morality of the series. And, uh, when they come across the scene of the attack, there's fresh blood and the mayor's axe is nearby and the blood trail leads towards a building, the mountain hut that Villa was going to be taking Grimm to. So Grimm demonstrates that she has a little luggage bag that just has seemingly bottomless capacity. She can pull out weird tools from it, including a gun that has a wolf's muzzle on it that sniffs things. Mm -hmm. 
We all have one of those in our bags, to be fair. Yeah. You never know when you're going to need a uh, smelly stuff out wolf muzzle I was shotgun. I was tracking I was tracking a werewolf the other day and I had to figure out where it was going. Never leave home without it. No, never. <laughs> Wouldn't be caught dead without it. Or maybe it would be. Hmm. Uh so they go to the hut and uh Grim unnecessarily kicks the door down. I didn't realize that until <laughs> why she kicked the door down. Fuck that door. Uh so there is a pile of human bones in the center of the room. Uh, the mayor's wife is hiding inside a little closet and they're like, oh, where's the mayor? Where's the mayor? And she says, ah, the mayor is the werewolf here. Before before the two of us arrived, he sensed you coming and he escaped out the window. He almost ate me and you saved my life. Oh, and but he went through the window. And so... Grim is looking around the scene like, oh, OK, OK. So the blood that was on the scene was actually his. So she says, you watch the old woman uh, boy and I'll I'll search for the trail. But Velo is not an idiot. Uh, and in fact, Grim seems to have lost a bit of her, you know, intelligence for all this. I know what I'm doing and, you know, I need to be paid for all this stuff, you know, macho, awesome, badass stuff. Because Vela's just like. The window's not broken like there's cobwebs over the window and it's too small for a guy as huge as the mayor to get through it so what actually happened here because that can't be right and so now grim realizes what has actually happened which is oh my gosh the mayor's wife was the werewolf and uh since she's been had the werewolf the actual werewolf transforms and um she looks pretty pretty creepy a little bit of uh she looks more plant-like than wolf-like, I uh, would say. Yeah, I agree. I, and I will say this. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the art in this series, but I do think the art for the werewolves themselves is pretty cool. And I do like the fact that, like, it's she do, she doesn't transform the way you would expect a werewolf to. It's almost like the head was, like, a lure or mm. something like that because she kind of, like, unfolds and the head goes, like, inside of her and stuff. So the werewolf transforms and Grim transforms too because I don't know she, she had to be she had to be small before and now she's big I don't know I'll just say what we're all thinking step on me please giant werewolf hunter <laughs> All right we're just going to get it out there everyone said it now Yeah so Grim realizes that the scene that they saw outside was actually just leading them here so that uh, the werewolf was leading them into a, a trap, basically, and trying to deceive them. Uh, and yeah, the granny is the werewolf, and uh, she's very big. Like, uh, she's got to be on to, like, 30 feet tall or something like that. Uh, and uh, so a fight breaks out. Grim uses a smokescreen thing from with one of her other ninja tools. Sorry, hunter's tools. Um, Villo is shocked because the mayor's freaking dead. And uh, he, of course, looked up to him so much. And Grimm says, we need to, we need everything we can throw at this werewolf in order to kill it. Uh, and she says, look, we need, we need, we need, I need your help on this. Cause Villo's like, well, we could get some grownups to help. And she says, no, there's no able-bodied fighters anywhere in the village. And the mayor's dead. I need you to help me. And Velo's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? 
The mayor got killed. What am I supposed to? I know I'm small and weak and I can't protect anyone. And Grim just, Lear just picks him up and <laughs> just says, <laughs> hey, if you don't want to get eaten, then fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, you know, all animals have these natural weapons in order to fight people. And human's weapon is our minds. So we need to use that in order to beat our foe. So come on, help me out with this. Uh, the werewolf attacks, grabs Grim. Oh, there she goes in the mouth. Uh, after and uh, while Grim is going into the mouth, she says to Velo to run away. But Velo uh, is kind of frozen and the werewolf is taunting him while uh, she attacks him as well. And she's saying, oh, yo, you were all fools. I hate children like you. You're so you're rich, little beast. And the mayor was a fool. Oh, selling his livestock and his little ham, little home for a little hammer like this. Uh, and the hundreds he paid for, I just ate her. She's all, she's dead now. All of you suck. <laughs> and she demands that uh, uh, Velos give up. And he just kind of is slumped over holding his musket while she just gets ready to freaking eat him. And it's very gross. And uh, she gets him in her mouth and closes her mouth. But Velos is thinking to himself, what Grimm had said about, you know, there's no good or evil. We just fight to survive. And that's why we resist. And he uses his gun to jam open the werewolf's mouth so that it can't swallow him. He fires the gun through her top jaw, which, ow, that hurt. And he thinks back on his memories of the mayor saying that he wanted, while he was alive, to do everything in his power to protect the hamlet. Uh, and he's saying, you know, like, hey, you know, I sold my house because things aren't important. You can always get possessions back, but you can't get lives back. It was a moment where I was like, who did he sell his house to? <laughs> I, I really sat there for a bit. I was like, who would he have sold it to? <laughs> some Just some rich asshole comes like, I'm here for the house. <laughs> supports us to it and carries it away. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> The sheep makes sense. Yeah, I was like, you can just sell the sheep, but who's going to be like, like, well, I own the house now, picks it up and walks off with it. Like, chat, see you later, gents. <laughs> or is this a rich person? It's like, ah, yes, this is a lovely house. I hate these neighbors, though. <laughs> <laughs> I shall buy it to spite it, and I will never <laughs> live here. Uh, so knowing this about the mayor, Velas is like, I'll protect everything now. I'll protect it with all my strength. And he picks up the mayor's axe and he is a strong little boy because he just cuts that wolf's belly open. I know this is how some versions of Red Riding Hood go. Woodsman cuts open the belly of the wolf after swallowing Grimmy, I guess. Uh, but uh, Grim comes out and slumps into Velo and uh, he's like, oh, you, you could open its stomach. And Velo's like, yeah. Why'd you let it eat you? <laughs> so turns out uh, she put a bomb in the freaking wolf because bombs exist in this universe, I guess. This is a time bomb, too. But she also has a grappling hook crossbow thing that she uses to get them away from the wolf before it blows up. And I do love the picture of the wolf because she pick is like, what the hell? There's something still inside me. And there's a freaking little picnic basket. Cause we got to do all the red riding hood connections. Yeah. And there's a bomb inside it. And the wolf's just like, Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And wish, uh, we get it. Wish I had gone off on a better meal than a, a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a cool guys don't look at explosions panel. Uh, two page spread, huge explosion behind behind Velo and uh, Grim. Grim's not looking at it, and Velo's like, "Oh, it's an explosion!" And he almost trips over his own feet. Uh, they he goes and he kind of does a little burial thing for the mayor, and he says, "Hey, I protected the hamlet. It's all safe now." Uh, and uh, so Grim says, "Hey, you know, you stood your ground against that werewolf." And Velo says, "Yeah, I'm not going to run again. I've learned that lesson." from the mayor and from you, Grim. So, uh, Grim does the opening speech that we saw before about dragons. No, we kill dragons. They don't just exist in fairy tales, but it's not like, Hey, help me go find a dragon or anything. She goes on to say, no, no, it's good that we killed all those fucking dragons. (laughs) And then she says, you know, people have forgotten about dragons because we killed them hundreds of years ago. No one fears them anymore. And, werewolves witches vampires until the day comes when they too are nothing but myth we hunters will fight on do you want to become a hunter boy and that's the end of our first chapter uh with a little bit of narration saying this is a story of two hunters so i did actually quite like this chapter uh it's i think going over a lot of old ground that we've seen before oh monster hunting kind of stuff um but I do overall like the art style and I thought that uh, the story beats that were important uh, were hit well. So uh, I'm not super high on it quite yet. Um, I mentioned in our discord, but uh, fairy tales, but evil is like sort of a, a aesthetic slash setting that I've seen a lot of. So it tends to be kind of easy to forget things. Uh, like everything kind of blends together after a while, so I need something that stands a little bit out. And there's parts of it that do, I guess, the different, like, um, you know, different uh, equipments and things like that could potentially be something. Uh, but the first chapter didn't do a ton. This feels like the, a pretty stock way to set up a series. This is Claymore. This is, you know, Fist of the mm-hmm. North Star. This is any series where the hero shows up, saves everybody, and then, like, a young kid leaves with the hero at the end of the story kind of chapter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's not bad, uh, but this is definitely a series that I have n- I've gotten... I have no real strong feelings one way or the other on it right now. Okay. It does kind of remind me a little bit of like Seraph of the End in terms of remember when that came out and I was like, I hated this. I hated this. Um, but it's because it's covering a genre that because of Western media, you're sick of. This is kind of like that in terms of what you said about, oh, fairy tales, but dark. It's like sometimes it seems like things kind of pop up in certain circles where media is created a bit later than where it's caught on elsewhere in the world. Yeah. Um, so I but think one of that the that's... examples you can even use is burn the witch, which is also kind of taking fairy tales and turning them a bit on their head. And that runs in the same magazine, whenever it yeah. decides to run again. Yeah. It's just that that's run through the Kubo filter where yeah. everything is weird and stylish. So <laughs> everything is weird. and has Nazis in it for some reason. <laughs> Oh, hold on. It's only chapter one. <laughs> it took a couple chapters for the Nazi and Burn the Witch to show up. <laughs> Good Lord. She is a Grim. She is called Grim. Maybe they're in Germany. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, but we'll uh, keep up with that for at least a couple more weeks and see how it goes. All right. 
so we've reached the end of the road for I tell C, apparently. Uh, did, did anyone <laughs> tell I tell C? <laughs> Aww. I tell C. It's chapter 21. What was this? It's like the end of the chapter, I think it is. Oh, fuck. Pardon me. Where is the chat? I tell C chapter 21. N! For not gonna run next. Okay, no. So, <laughs> last time, Sakon needed to know the password to disarm the bomb on the bomb guy. And Mizaoui told him something, and apparently it worked because they're all alive and nothing blew up. And there were not one second left, but two seconds. Because, you know. There were two of them that helped solve this problem. Yeah, sure. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the question, though, is how did Mizaoui know that the password was N? To which I say... Well, I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the thing that I said all last week, which was, well, all the sentences began with a certain letter. And it turns out that it was indeed that. The logic was that he went through all of the characters in the Japanese alphabet that you can like start us, that you can have as a syllable in the midst of their conversation, except N. And that was the only one that didn't come up. So, and uh, she's like, yeah, yeah. So that's why, you know, she he wanted someone whose name started with Ah. So Aoi uh, could uh, fit into that so that he could start his conversation that way. And then, I guess, perfectly follow a script and eventually <laughs> check off everything in his head, whatever. Uh, but she says the woe in Wombat was the last one of the two that I needed. He wasn't answering questions at the end because he needed to answer something with woe. And... Uh, the reason why she says he planned on making n his final word to put a literal end to his life yeah I'm it's, sure it, it, it's, a sure very, it's better in yeah i was like it's one of those things where i'm like i guess this is an answer this is very much like a puzzle put into a world and the character is just meant to act around it because like there's never really given like a full justification as to why he had a giant alphabet gimmick so it's just like yeah that's what he did he's gonna end his life with it you're like all right, I get it. <laughs> so they've got uh, the kid whose name is Aichi Endo in an interrogation room. And uh, they look up his record and stuff. They're like, oh, you were taken into custody by Sergeant Yodo Yabashi. Is that right? You were suspe suspended from school for assaulting a classmate. So you delivered that bomb to Sergeant Yodo Bayashi because he arrested you. But why did you attach a bomb to yourself? And Aichi says, no one can see the real me. But then he immediately looks at Sakon and is like, I bet you just think I'm some overprotective spoiled brat because I said that. He didn't say that, but okay. But he says, I don't know whether that's a mistake or not. And he flashed back to when, you know, he was going through school and his, his mother was like, oh, you got into that academy. You're wonderful. You're my pride and joy. You could get into any college. You could get to the college I was never able to. And he's going through his flashback 
and he you know, makes a friend who's like, you want to read this manga, right? You can borrow mine. Yay. But then his mother slaps him when he gets home. I was like, why? Oh, I found manga in your school bag. Like, Look, your grades are, are only A minuses. How dare you? I hate you. Oh, no. No, you're never getting to college. And oh, it's all distorted because, oh, the pressure from the parental figure. Look, we've got one chapter to deliver all this backstory. <laughs> this is not the way that you were supposed to consume this character's backstory. No, Nick, it's all right. Gengaku Picasso has gone into their mind and uh, they're going to fix everything. They're going to find the root cause of everything, and this kid's going to come out a-okay. Um, so he had that pressure on him from his mom, and then he saw that someone on the street was being assaulted, and he intervened, but when the police came across them, uh, they were just like, oh yeah, that guy hit me first! And so he, he was just like, I was just trying to help out my friend. And the friend that he was protecting before was like, oh, yeah, you got suspended. So, you know, I can't be friends with you because, you know, personal record, permanent record, you know, uh, that'll look bad for me. And it's just, just like, all right. So you made friends with a piece of shit. Sorry, dude. <laughs> like, if you, look, if you defend someone from assault. And then they're like, oh, you got in trouble with the law. I can't be near you. What? Because they pretend to be results. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty shitty thing to do. <laughs> and so all, all that pressure on him. And he's just like, mom's just in it for her own ideals. And the cops just in it to protect his son. And my friend was just in it for his reputation. All of them twisting the real me. Like, okay, I mean, I guess that that's what's going on. But all right. But in the present, he says, no matter what I am, I'm still me. So man, that is that is a 15-year-old honor student observation right there, isn't it? <laughs> it's like you're smart, but you, you you're not original. <laughs> but he says, if I can't get anyone to look at the real me, there's no point in living. And no one hears my words or thoughts. Everyone's always looking at myself. And as I was like, I mean, I figured out what you were thinking, and so I knew the passwords. No, it's not. You're also just in it for yourself. And everyone just kind of looks at him for one battle. It's a really weird beat in the, in the progression of the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, his mom turns up and is being like, uh, Bomb? What? What? You got expelled. Why? Why can't you be my own pride and joy? You're more than capable of this. And Akiraka says, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh, it turns out that the, the officer who arrested him before conducted an unjust arrest. And she's like, they do what? And she says, then it's your fault for this. How are you going to make up for this? And she's like, calm down, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and so she starts, you know how people break down in uh, Ace Attorney when... Yes. Uh, so... Imagine if they just walked into the courtroom. And they <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to say anything to get to that point. They just walk in and they've shattered. <laughs> I mean, the way that she's drawn, the expression she's making, the way she's shaded and stuff. I feel like because uh, I, I kind of feel like because, you know, Oka was just like, listen, I had a lot of weird stuff I wanted to draw. So I might as well just get it in now for this one random character whose name we never learned. The mom. And she's going a bit crazy. She's like, no, this is wrong. My son can't be a criminal. My little eye can't be a criminal. And Ms. Aoi just slaps her across the face. <laughs> well, just like cold hearted too. just her expression. No expression. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> so, 
Uh, and so she's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I raised my hand against an innocent person. That's that's bad on me. But she says, Mr. Aichi is uh, is a heart is a criminal. That that's a fact. Uh, which is uh, why now more than ever, you should cast aside your ego and accept him. The fact that he committed a crime, the emotions that led him to do it, all of that is the real Aichi Endo. Oh, I guess I'm suspended. Sorry, I hit I hit I hit a <laughs> random person. So I guess I'll uh, go on vacation for a bit. After that, <laughs> this is such a great transition because you, you sit there you're like the series is ending in like four pages. Where are we going? <laughs> so, after that, Aichiendo was sent to juvenile hall for inflicting bodily harm. Sergeant Yodabayashi was reprimanded for conducting an unjust arrest, but he wasn't fired because, you know, we can never have cops who you know, do bad things that cause bomb scares ever suffer consequences. And time continued on like it always did. Cool. And we cut to the Eye Investigation Division where Aichiendo is dressing up in Sakon's hand-me-downs. How how sad would it have been if they were Ukon's hand-me-downs? <laughs> They're twins, so they probably were basically like the same thing anyway, right? <laughs> and Sakon's like, Ah, oh, it's like I gained a little brother. It feels good. <laughs> Like I've gained something that I lost and forgot about. That stupid jerky meanie 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 face, he killed my brother! <laughs> that dork poop poop head! Wait a minute, does that guy still exist? I feel like we're forgetting something. <laughs> Good thing the ITEL division has solved every relevant case. It's like in the background, you see that guy stealing a cab and driving into a school bus. <laughs> sharpening, a, sharpening a knife. <laughs> It cuts to him robbing a bank, and he just keeps looking at her. He's like, where are the cops? This is weird. Uh, there's, just a, there's just a phone in the ITEL office that's covered in papers that's just going off constantly. Sakan piled all of his weights on top of it to get it to shut up. There's that noise again. More weight. <laughs> so after Sakan says this, I, he just says, shut your hole, old man. <laughs> it's good to know that Sakon never is going to be respected by this series. By anyone. <laughs> it's how we're going to end it. Shut your hole, old man. <laughs> Akiraka scolds Aichi for saying this. Such harsh language to your senior officer. Bad boy. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so... But Aichi's just like, well, I'm just an errand boy. You hired Mr. Akiraka. It's not like I'm a cop. And Sakan says, no! And both he and Akiraka go, welcome to the I division! Aichi's like, where is Risa? Uh, because apparently he's got a crush on Mizaoi, I guess? I don't know. He's calling her by her first name, so I don't know. So, uh, he's like, why do you call yourself the I Division? It sounds like a deranged middle schooler made up. It's so lame. <laughs> Everything about this premise is stupid. I hate this. Finn. <laughs> Credits. Did the best character show up in the last two chapters? <laughs> so. Immediately, Naki Rock gets really upset about this. And so he starts to pout. And Sakon's like, hey, 
He may not look it, but the chief is tofu grade soft on the inside. That's so sensitive. He's a real wuss. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then he's like, you know, I, I just says, I don't like the idea of being people who don't exist, which still doesn't make, that's not what I means. So, but, you know, you and Mr. Aki Rock and I, we are all weirdos. But you know what? It's thanks to all of you that I'm here right now. None of you are eyes, imaginary numbers to me. To me, all of you do exist. Imaginary numbers exist. Every time they actually bring that up, I'm just like, no, math brain won't allow this. <laughs> uh, so. Okay. We end the chapter with Ms. Aoi. Uh, you got it. You got it. Okay, so there's a guy who, as far as I can tell, has been stealing grapes. <laughs> Like, they don't say what he's actually done. Like, there's there's fingerprints in the police database, and he's on his back in a next to a tree with grapes on it, which I thought grapes grew on vines, not trees. But anyway, so grapes are hanging around him, and he's got a bunch of grapes in his hand. And Mizawi says, you're the wanted criminal, Mr. Owari. Can you be wanted for stealing grapes? Is this some sort of mass fruit? Grand, grand theft fruit. I so she says. I've seen your fingerprints in the database, and Mr. Owari apparently says there's no way you can ID fingerprints with your naked eye. And Mizawa says, "Oh, but I can because I'm in love with you." And that's how the chapter ends. A full page spread of Mizawa saying, "I'm in love with you," all surrounded by grapes. That's how the series ends. Uh and it's wonderful. Uh, it is the perfect way to end this series, uh, objectively not accepting that there is a conclusion. Uh, we just get there. That's it. Um, cause there's usually like a couple different ways series end. you get like the first one, which is like the series is ending. So they very have to quickly rush through everything. Then you get some that are ending, but they just make the end that they're at like the main end like oh there was a big antagonist but we don't have time for it so actually this character is the big antagonist or they have the big antagonist show up there or something like that then there are the other ones that end <clears throat> and they're kind of like and then we'll see what adventures they had going forward like they just don't bother doing it they just end where they end and they're like and then many more adventures are going to be had this one yeah. kind of ends like that except there's no more adventures to be had it's just yeah. like i don't know i could join the group and done finn well you got more questions what are you waiting for <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's excellent, it's Nick. What, what a ride we've been on. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's, let's rewind real quick to what February, I think when this series came out, maybe it was January, um, January, eh, somewhere around there, somewhere, yeah. somewhere around there. And in that section, we, we took a couple different series and we were like, Hey, I could use the veto and the bank, the bank on this. Cause this might've been the closest we're going to get this year to like a true garbage pail series. I mean, who knows? We still, like have, we still have a little bit more left, but we decided, <clears throat> no, this could just be a train wreck 
in and of itself. Was it worth it? For the moments that we had, yes. Okay. If I had had to read this series like in one go for us to do a review of it, I feel like it would have paid far fewer dividends than us talking about it week to week because it was just not good. <laughs> just not good. Like there was so much to talk about though because it was so such a stupid series. That said, all right, well a million 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 times uh take a dumb series that tries out new things over a boring series that does not. There is a reason that we did not cover the the vampire one. Oh, uh, our, our blood oath. Yes, that one. It's because it was boring. Yeah. Um, and, and covered ground. This was crazy. <laughs> and uh, the manga of the series, Kazusa uh, uh, Inoka, uh, has some very different uh, kind of series whenever they get stuff in uh, Weekly Shonen Jump. So I legitimately do hope that they get something that catches on. Uh, because like this series and their last series invade you, it both ended pretty quickly, but they're both very different. So maybe the next time that they man- get, maybe the next time they try to make a series, it'll get into show and jump and it'll catch on and we'll just have long-term insanity from them. Yeah, but, exactly. See. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Onwards and upwards, Nick. We're going over to Magu-chan now. It's been a year since Magu-chan debuted. Uh, Magachan got a destruction. It's chapter 49. Uh, the boundary between us and the stars. So we get this big color page opening, two page color spread. Look at all the characters that are there celebrating this. By the way, there is a poll running right now. You can vote for your favorite character and also maybe someone who's not Naputuku. Yeah, I was going to uh, say it's spelled N A P. Uh, is this the first time we've seen Muscar in color as well? I believe so. Okay, cool design. I like the I like the hair color. I don't like the the hood color though. It's very boring looking. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a great it's a great uh, two page spread and a nice little celebration for the series, making it to one year. Uh, and the the chapter is pretty much just kind of like a celebration. Uh, it's it's set in the context of summer festivals um, because Maku-chan is always aware of like what's actually going on in terms of holidays and stuff like that. But it definitely feels like this is a celebration of the series and all of the characters and everything like that because we cut around to everyone. Like yeah, we see, we see essentially every character who's shown up in the series at this point. Like some of the cops that we've seen before, the bullies that uh, the bully and his victim that Magu, quote unquote, befriended uh, that one time, uh, the woman who runs the bar that that the uh, god sung out at the shark that serves Nabutiku still. <laughs> um, and the premise is that, you know, everyone's you know writing their prayers because they want them answered. And Magu is like, oh, everyone is. I want to grant everyone's wishes so that they will all be subservient to me. And so they go around and get wishes from everyone. And Magus says that he can grant them. There are fun things like, you know, Yuika says that she doesn't want to have any tests anymore. And so Magus is like, I'll blow up the school. No more tests. It's like, that oh, seems pretty straightforward. Um, but Ruru ends up getting an idea. 
after Maga runs into some, you know, hurdles because he can't seem to get people to actually give him wishes that he'll actually be able to grant. And uh, so Furu essentially goes and helps him collect wishes from a bunch of people. He starts off it with a, you know, Ren's place. And of course, Nabutaku is like, I want cooking recipes and my own set of knives and a room all to myself. That's his third priority. <laughs> Um, and so they collect stuff from them. They go to Uneris, uh, and Uneris's wishes. I want my OTP humans to continue to flourish. Joy. That's her thing. Izuma says that he wants the Ode to give his attacks better names because he's self-conscious about them now. And there's, you know, things like, you know, Zonzege wants to, you know, not be a bother to anyone. Poor Aww. guy. Uh, Gula wants more powers. <laughs> uh, and so they go around collecting stuff from people. One of the cops just wants traffic safety, which is like, what kind of boring life do you lead to? <laughs> a life of responsibility. However, uh, I feel like that's just because his real wish wouldn't have been allowed on there. You know, yeah. he starts writing it and then he's like, oh, wait, you're like, you're like 13. Yeah. Let's take the traffic safe. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna look. I'm just gonna write this thing. No more blank people, and I'm just gonna rip it up and throw it in the <laughs> trash can. <laughs> and don't worry about it. I'm just you know, safety. You know, make sure you wear your seatbelt. There you go. Oh, <laughs> get out of here, little scamp. <laughs> it ruffles her hair and gets out of here. <laughs> so we get this, you know, montage of everyone, you know, giving wishes to to Magu, and they're like actually like sticking them to him in some cases and stuff. And uh, then Rue says, there's one more person who hasn't written down their wish yet. And so they go to see Muscar. <laughs> and Muscar's like, what, what, what are you doing here? Why do you want to know my wish? I love the teacher. He's like, I showed the way with giant hands in the air. It's probably my favorite actual joke because it just in the back. <laughs> I helped. Because <laughs> <laughs> also Muscar's like, how did you know where I was? So, you know, Muscar is, you know, they tell him, like, oh, you know, write your wish down. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll write down my wish. Total domination over humanity by superior beings. If you can make that dream come true, then by all means, please do. And Ru's like, okay, thanks, Lord Moo. <laughs> so they've gathered all of these desires and stuff that people have. Uh, Mog is carrying them around a little branch. And he's like, he doesn't understand exactly what uh, what Ruru's up to, though. You know, what, why why are we doing this? Uh, and also, they go they they go out to the beach, and Magu says, "Is it not a little quiet for a festival celebrating my revival?" And uh, Magu and Ruru says, "Well, hey, you know, you write down your wish too." And Magu says, "Hmm, but I am granting the lowly humans' wishes." Just, 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 just do right, it. Write yours down too. And then she says, we're going to grant all the wishes in one go. And at that moment, Kuru's mom gets a notification on her phone that says, look at the sky. And presumably, she's like sending a mass text to everyone this. And then we cut back to her holding Magu, who's transforming and he's ready to unleash his power. And she says, here we go, Magu-chan. And she hefts him up into the sky and he fires a huge eye beam that goes a uh, really long ways. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it'll hit the moon if it goes much further. But it explodes in the sky, 
and then sends beams of light crashing down in all directions like shooting stars. And Magu still doesn't get it, so Rue has to explain, if you make a wish on a shooting star, your wish comes true. So now everyone can wish as much as they want. So go ahead, make a wish, Magu-chan. And then they you know, do a little making a wish prayer pose together. And Magu says after they do this, it's nothing more than a crude superstition of the lowly humans, but so be it. If I can use this superstition to demonstrate my authority, I have fulfilled the function of my revival festival. And Rue says, well, I hope your wish comes true, Magu-chan. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I'm sure even a god sometimes wants someone to hear their wishes too. And Magu's kind of like, oh, damn, that's deep. And he says, that may be true. And then we see the two wishes that Ru and Magu made last. Ru says, I hope everyone's wishes come true. Aw. And Magu's is world domination. <laughs> <laughs> so, yay! Magu-chan is one year old. How nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that the series got its little uh, one-year anniversary special and, and celebrated. It's a very cute little chapter. Now, let's talk about a serious Nick that may not be around much longer. In fact, uh, it's, it looks like we got about one week left. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's uh, about uh, exactly one week. In fact, uh, yeah. So, I feel uh, like uh, I feel like I'm Eric Bischoff in the 2000s. Like, it looks like I've got about three minutes left of this series, and then lesbians come out <laughs> because that's what wrestling uh, was for a brief period of time. <laughs> This thing was weird in 2003. <laughs> Someone could just say bad. You could just say bad. Uh, Raw. What else was on in? Raw what else was, was on in three? That was what SmackDown, well, Smackdown, I think. SmackDown was actually I was really going to say, good. SmackDown was pretty good. That was like the SmackDown 6 era, I feel like. Yeah, it was. So, Also, you know, John Cena just starting up when, you know, everyone actually liked him. Yeah. Like, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chapter 19 of Nine Dragons Ball Parade everyone's September. And uh, so we've got uh, ultra single player team led by Hibuse. He is pitching against um, hot blooded batter boy. <laughs> Don't learn his name, Nick. It's only going to make it harder. <laughs> While EO is on uh base. And so, he, uh, so Hibuse is really worried about him because, you know, he's all, he's, you know, he's worried about him stealing because he's so fast. And he's also, you know, taking a really wide lead. So he's like, oh, come on. Is he trying to just like distract me with this? And he's, but he's also thinking like, I mean, the catcher doesn't have a really weak arm. He's, he's got a weak arm. He's never going to be able to pick him off. So in that case, I have to stop him. And so he throws a really fast pitch. And while the ball is steaming towards hot blooded batter boy, we get a flashback to last November to when Azu told Toromoto, who is probably not the hot blooded batter guy. I'm sure that's someone else. Uh, he says, look, if you if you, you're not going to make contact, if you just you are swinging in a full cut at every single pitch, learn to pick and choose. And he's just like, I can't do that. I'm not smart. <laughs> so I was just like, look, just you know, practice at it. You're not going to get good at it immediately. But, you know, you know, try it. And hey, remember, you have uh, oh, EO, EO here to help you out. So. Because of this, because he's so worried about EO's base-stealing ability, Hibose has to throw fastballs, which means that it's limiting the number of pitches that could potentially come Hot Bullet Batter Boy's way. 
And so he's like, all right, yeah, here it is. The fastball that I've been looking for. This is my target pitch. And he hits this screaming liner and it smacks off of Hibuse's glove. He can't handle it. And uh, because of that, it just goes into center field and uh, EO advances uh, all the way to third. And Hibuse is on first base. And that leaves the cleanup hitter, which is Surugi. So <gasps> the best batter on the team. Yay. But uh, Glass's shortstop rival guy observing from the audience is like, ah, but be careful, Kokoryu-san. He's backed into a corner, and that's when he takes it up a notch. And so Hibuse throws a pitch, and his pitches are even faster, and Surugi can't even swing at it. And Hibuse is thinking to himself as he throws the pitch, his next pitch, you'd normally be the star, but you've met your match. And he throws a pitch, and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the full-strength pitch that comes in ultra-fast until just before it reaches the batter, and it suddenly breaks the high-speed slider, which is kind of like the pitch that the rival character used, but not as bad, so he can actually hit this one. Yeah. So, uh, and Tsurugi hits it clean and freaking blasts home runs. So, so yay! Kokoryuzan gets 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 three runs off that. We get another, you know, uh, we get another thing about, you know, they trained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they worked very, very hard. Tsurugi would not stop practicing while it was raining. So, so they're like, oh my god, this is it. And Tsurugi's like, I'm going to keep my promise and take the team to Koshien. So they score three runs. Ibuse gets control of things after that, so now the score is tied, and so it's like, okay, what are we going to do now? Because Ibuse is, you know, up to bat next. We've been able to hold the other team's scoreless, but if, you know, we can't stop him, then he's going to get another run, and who knows if we can get another run off of him. But Ryudo throws a pitch, and it's uh, a very, it's 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 different, and so Ibuse, you know, fouls it off, and Ibuse immediately recalibrates, and he's like, I've got it, yeah, I've got it. I'm going to hit that next pitch. And he says, you know, when I'm grateful, I'm grateful to you guys, because when a strong enemy appears, that's when the star awakens. No matter how fast you throw, Ryudo, I'm coming. I can hit into the stands. I'm going to nail this one. And Ryudo throws the ball and it just hangs there. And Ibu says, like, what the hell? The pitch isn't here yet. The pitch isn't here yet. And he's like, okay, okay, don't. Don't, don't swing it, don't swing it. But he swings and he misses. And Azu's like, yeah, we were kind of hoping to just hold on to that pitch, but it was time to break it out. It's a new weapon we've developed over the past nine months. The parachute changeup. Ryudo has two pitches now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so... Nick, do you think we're going to see a third one by the time the series ends? Well, if you count the rising dragon as the third one, then yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they make a reference to Johan Santana. It's like, all right, fine, sure. Oh, you know, he his fastball was great, but his number one weapon was the parachute changeup. It would be like if a drag racer, you know, released its parachute and suddenly slowed down. And he throw and Rito throws this ball with the same form as the fastball. Oh, wouldn't it have been cool to see a lot of pitching matchups with this weapon? Yeah, I would have. It's it's okay, Nick. It's 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 not died. It's going off to a farm, and it's gonna play with all your other favorites, Nick. It's gonna be there with Last Sayuki, and it's gonna be there with Gakyohote. All the series you love, Nick, are there. They're gonna be hanging out 
talking, maybe exchanging ideas. It's going to be crossing over. Question. Is Barrage on the farm yeah. if My Hero Academia got picked yeah. up and got super successful? <laughs> yeah, it's still on the farm, Nick. I'm or sorry just, to say. Does, like, you know, all the other Horikoshi series come to visit occasionally? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Hibu says, you know, they're just like, all right, fine. You know, if he throws another off-speed pitch, then, you know, is the, he'd never do that. It'd be it'd be too big of a risk. So he's got to definitely throw a fastball next. I'll hit his fastball. I'll hit it right into the stand. So bring it. I know you're going to throw a fastball. And Ryudo strikes him out with a fastball because the breaking speed pitch is thrown off his timing. And uh, he swings too late. So Ryudo strikes him out. They struck out the guy that they couldn't deal with before. Yay, a triumph. And... Um, Presumably next chapter is where uh reliable pitcher or reliable outfielder guy or first base. I, I can't remember. What, the guy who was like the captain on the other team, like old reliable guy. We just need some. He'll get a moment to shine. And I don't know, maybe Chuck and douche guy, whatever the fucking outfielders are. Maybe they'll do something, something to be like, oh, look at that. Because this is outright just like, all right, everybody has their moment. This is the things yeah. they were going to do throughout the series. But we don't have time for it. I believe that if you're going down a checklist, then it's probably Subaki gets the big heroic moment next time. So, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, it's a shame. Oh, well, just what when it... it started actually getting good. And I was... <laughs> it's fine. We got a game of baseball. That's all we needed, right? Yeah, I guess. Dr. Stone Z equals 202. Ryusui core. It's time to get stoned, Nick. This chapter begins very weirdly with Ryusui like lunging out of the panel at the reader, going, I'm full of desire. <laughs> and uh, he and Franz are both like freaking out because they know what's coming as they're heading over to Spain. Because they're like, there's something there that we can get somewhere in the Mediterranean that we can finally get. We're going to get olive oil. And they are so ecstatic about this because olive oil is great for all sorts of cooking things um and uh gen's like but we're going there for the for the fluoride like yeah yeah and reese's like yeah i can desire two things at once come on have you met me i'm me i want everything (laughs) so they head straight for barcelona through the mediterranean uh they arrive there landscape Uh, excuse me nick it's barcelona barcelona (laughs) So. <laughs> I just want to be pretentious because I was there once. It's Barcelona. Yeah. Nick, you need to say it with uh, the tongue. Barcelona. Barcelona. And then yeah. there's somebody listening who's actually from Barcelona who's like, no, you sound like an idiot right now. <laughs> I, I believe that uh, a lot of people do pronounce it as Barcelona. It has to do with like Spain, Spanish accents. But anywho. So. so uh, they make it there in no time at all because of their rocket engine-powered ship. Seems safe. Yep. Uh, and uh, they're like, we're going to let Ryusweep, you know, handle things here because he's a rich boy. He knows where all of the stuff in the tourist locations is, I guess. So they get a bunch of olives and grind them into paste so that they can, and then they process it into olive oil. And Francois is like, I've craved this for so long. Our dining table will grow so sumptuous that you find people will doubt your very taste buds. Aww. They make olive oil. 
Emilie yeah. Francois sets to making pasta with it. I don't Good. Know. There's a there's a tentacle on that squid plate. I don't know if that would go any well together for me, but uh, I mean I wouldn't eat it, but you know I'm sure I'd still eat the pasta. Nah, there's a lot of seafood on that. Actually, nah, I'm not gonna touch that pasta. Sorry, it's got too much shit on it now. <laughs> that pasta's been corrupted. I, I'm like, hey Francois, can you make me some chicken tendies, please? <laughs> I don't care if you use olive oil, but you better use it because I'm actually kind of now I kind of want that. In fact, can you just like give me a bottle of olive oil on the side so that I can like drink it from my sippy cup? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, they also wake up a bunch of people and they're like, "Hi, we're not giving any of you names. <laughs> None of you characters are important, but you need to rebuild Spain." <laughs> yeah, which I is this stuff. a very interesting thing that you chose people from Barcelona, Barcelona to be the ones to rebuild Spain, considering there's kind of a tricky. <laughs> situation between barcelona and the rest of spain anyway we're in spain but Nick, I, w- I wouldn't want to imply that uh inagaki doesn't know a ton about spain considering he had all of his characters from brazil just bring their spanish over to talk to them <laughs> and then they do bull fighting <laughs> We're in Spain! <laughs> what other Spanish things could we do? Nothing. Olive oil, bullfighting, I think that's it. Churros! <laughs> oh yeah, there we go, we got everything now. Anyway, we made money. <laughs> and so, some of the people that they revive say, you are some upstanding youngsters. <laughs> like, Alright, fine. <laughs> So, and then they like bow in subjugation to the imperialists from the science kingdom. <laughs> it's such a weird moment. They're like, "Oh, you you used this. You could have you could have conquered." Like that's what we're not trying to do. We're going to bring back a country and artist. That's a shot of them bowing to their new gods. <laughs> I feel like every part of this is not coming across the way you want this to. <laughs> Flamenco. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think too much about it. Fluoride. Yeah, and yeah, Ryusu's like, yeah, we're not going. We're we're going to just let you run the country the way that you want to, but also give us stuff. Give me fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't stop long enough to actually do like any kind of personality check to make sure we didn't just free like a bunch of insane people, or uh, more importantly, that we freed people who have any kind of ability to know how to run a civilization together. But give us fluoride, take our money, and respect it as a real legal currency. Goodbye forever. Oh man. It's, you know, it's, it's the, it, it's, uh, it's the 17 personality types. They did a test for it. You know, like, uh, there's, uh, the, there's logicians, uh-huh. uh, there's, uh, executives, uh, and there's Spaniards. Uh, so, you know, they knew immediately, uh-huh. like, oh, they're from Spain. We can trust them. So they, yeah, they had to work with another personality trist- test. They were like, we got too many Rosses in here, but thankfully that should be balanced <laughs> out by the number of Monica's we've got in there as well. None of uh- Chandler's. Which is a little unfortunate, but, you know, Monica's are the responsible ones, so they'll, so, they'll keep things under control. Excuse me, here in Barcelona, it is Monica. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's now let's chance. do the little shell things that make noise. <laughs> like, I'm surprised they didn't get that in here in this chapter anywhere. The maracas or whatever. Uh, castanets. Castanets, that's it, yeah. 
God, yeah. I mean, like, this, at, at first glance for me, this was just, like, a nothing chapter. But I was like, oh, Francois and Reese, we were happy. Isn't that nice? But then, like, the second time through, I was like, wait a minute. This is very, <laughs> wait, hold on. <laughs> There's some questionable elements in this chapter. I think that the less time we spend here, the better. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep moving. This happened. Anyway, I, I just, can trust all these people. They have the muscles of Spanish people. I really wanted to see what would happen with another chapter to see if like more stuff like Inagaki was just like, yeah, that's what Spain's all about. Like sombreros and cactuses. Uh, tacos. <laughs> Talking mice. <laughs> really fast. <laughs> Siestas. And... <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, uh, little kids in luchador masks going to a luchador high school. <laughs> luchador <laughs> It's a way of life. <laughs> and the first thing a wrestler does is take off the mask to be like, ah, oh, our saviors are here. <laughs> God. Oh, man. Mashal. Let's talk about Mashal, Nick. Magic and Muscles, Chapter 68. Wahlberg Boggen and the Magic of Darkness. So uh, I forgot this character's name. I think it's Necrosmancer, I want to say. Uh, has reanimated Adam Jobs. It is basically using him to control all the magic. Uh, and Wahlberg's like, oh, yeah, that, that powerful guy. And Necross is even thinking, like, yeah, this is, I'm super strong because I have the strongest guy. This dude I'm controlling is the strongest man in the world. Uh, even though Wahlberg's there, that's just this current artificial world with this guy. He was definitely stronger. Adam Jobs, because he just shoots out like a big ball of magic and it like destroys a mountain range. <laughs> um, they just have a bunch of combat fight stuff for a little bit. Um, they explain Adam Jobs' magic a little bit, that his magic had the ability to send anything it touches to the void, including others' magic. You can't repel dark magic with another type of spell. Kind of feels a little bit like the way One Piece has also made darkness a very particular thing. Mm. Um, so he's just like, yeah, this guy's going to be too strong. You're not going to be able to do anything. And then Wahlberg just shatters through the magic and throws a bunch of attacks that like seem to slice off pieces of the Crossmancer. And uh, Wahlberg explains, oh, I wouldn't worry. My magic controls space, you see. I only sent your body parts a short distance away. It won't kill you. Uh, so Necross is in a pretty bad spot right now. He's like, oh, he's he's stopping dark magic by just removing it from space itself. Oh, uh, no, this is the worst future. The one where <laughs> I don't have legs or an arm. <laughs> it can't get worse than this. Uh, we see a, a, he Necross attempt a, another really big attack. He's like, I'll just uh, overcome a whole bunch of it. You won't have time to remove all of them. And Wahlberg very easily can. And uh, Necross, uh, with his big scary Baraka teeth, is just like, how can this broken magic of his have such range? I'm controlling a man who once conquered the world. Wahlberg's the toughest now, but there can't be this large of a gap between their skills. Not with dark magic. Dark magic stands at the top of all magics. It casts a max level dark magic spell. Dark Tremendous. And Wahlberg's like, spells? Oh, you, you seem to be mistaken. Everything to this point was the wand's ability. If you want to see me actually cast a spell, then watch. And Wahlberg casts a spell that annihilates the whole attack in just like a giant two-page panel. 
uh, where he just says space sacrifice and it, you know, annihilates the darkness spell. And uh, Necross is just like, what the fuck? And uh, Innocent Zero just says, you haven't declined in the slightest, Wahlberg. That's how the chapter ends. There's some nice artwork in this chapter. Uh, I particularly like when uh, he launches Dark Snake. I really, really like the uh, way the snakes are drawn. Uh, I like how they seem completely other otherworldly because they're drawn so differently from the usual art uh, kind of art styles that we see in Mashal. Um, but this was just mostly just kind of like a chapter. It was an action scene chapter, and it felt it, this felt very standard. Um, unlike a lot of stuff we see from Mashal. So I was just kind of like, yeah, all right. It, Look, it, it it's, happened. it's so. fine, guys. Third Hokage needs to show he's really strong before he gets killed. Um, but I do really love that moment of him being like, oh, spells? Oh, no, I've just been using the wand. Do you want to see a spell? And then that being so much cooler. Like, I, I do like that was as like a cool badass moment. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. I'm just acknowledging that, like, if Mashal consisted of, like, you know, this kind of stuff. Yes three times as often as we actually get it, then I would not like the series nearly as much as I do. I'm just like, go back to the other stuff. But because it's Mash, I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll get back to the stuff that I actually like probably just next week. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like, if, if Mash was always like this, it would be uh, a bit insufferable, but the elusive samurai chapter 22 revered Buddha, 1334, Fubuki is fighting against one of the bandits, the one that he has pegged as being probably the strongest out of the uh, general guys. Um, and uh, he's analyzing the guy and, and he's figured out, I was like, oh man, this guy's blade, he, he changes its trajectory mid swing. And we get some narration saying that, you know, swordsmanship that relies on strength is what you tend to see in this era, but more sophisticated techniques will soon spread. So, this guy is a little bit ahead of the curve, essentially, with his swordsmanship techniques. And Fubuki just says, like, oh, wow, you know, your, your control of your blade is quite rare. So you must have learned from a master. You know, what, what, what was his name? And the guy says, why should I tell you? I'm not going to tell you that so you know how to beat me. <laughs> um, but and he says, you know, it's like, hey, if I reveal my skills to the boss and the others, they'll just use me to death like all the other generals before. But if I play the clown, if I fawn over the boss, I'll just, you know, reap the rewards while I stay safer on the sidelines. The only time I show my claws is when I kill you for noticing them and and when I kill the boss and take its place. And uh, he goes after Fubuki. And he says, you know, in violent times, success lies in concealment. Uh, but Fubuki just thinks to himself, concealment. And he's blocking the guy's blows. He is getting some scratches here and there. I do actually like a detail that one of his hairs actually gets chopped off uh, along with him getting a scratch. Uh, but he says, you know, a normal strike, it travels down a straight path. But if you flick your wrist, it causes it to swerve in a completely different direction. And you can't tell what path the blade will take until the last moment. But with him, uh, his elbow is at a different point when he's going in different places. So I can actually really easily tell where he's going to strike. In other words, he isn't concealing anything. And so he blocks the guy's blows and the guy's like, wait, but I did my thing. And Fubuki kicks him in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he says, you'd be formidable if you could hide it, uh, but you've missed the technique's crucial point. 
you aren't hiding anything that impressive. So I'm disappointed. And he counters the guy. He just kind of uses both of his blades to wrench the guy's arm to the side. He kicks him in the face. And uh, the guy is completely stunned by this. He's like, what the hell? What, what, what is this? You know, he's actually doing all these things even at these weird close quarters. This kid is hiding untold talent. And Fubuki says aloud to the guy, discovering the strategic value of this vi village and the tactical value of its inhabitants was like finding hidden jewels whose glow warmed my cold heart. And then he thinks privately about Chojumaru or Tokiyuki. I am drawn to this boy because he is concealing immense potential. And uh, the bandit goes one last time to try and attack Fubuki while Fubuki's back is turned, but he just kind of like casually backs into him and then holds his blades up in a cross over the guy's neck, over his own head. And he just says, we're done here. And then cuts the guy's throat while, dry, while swiping his swords downward. So there appears to be a bit more to Fubuki than he's led on to the others yes. so far. He wonders how Lord Chujimaru is doing. And we cut to Tokiyuki, who's having a good old time running around the room while his opponent sprays blood everywhere. And is uh, rather gruesome. It's, uh, I mean, there's blood stains all over this place that were not there before. This is how I felt when I, oh, I jammed my head on the drawers. Ah, blood! <laughs> That's everywhere. Nick, maybe that drawer was uh, trying to do the whole game with you. It was like, ah, oh, keep trying to get up and put those socks away and I'll bleed you out, boy. I made the smart decision to tactically retreat and get my wound bound, and then I went back and then I slam dunked those socks in that drawer. I like to think you set fire to the drawer afterwards, and like you won't be hurting anyone in these parts anymore. I've had, the, I've had that dresser since I was too young to remember, so I actually felt kind of betrayed. You're like, it. what the fuck? Dressery? Why? <laughs> I've always hated that name. You're not, you weren't original when you were three. <laughs> Shut up, Dressery the Dresser. <laughs> Me and Betty the Bed aren't talking to you anymore. <laughs> you have giant googly eyes on your dresser for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, oh, the bandit leader realizes that he's going to die. Because he's like, I, I can't kill this guy. I'm, I'm dying from blood loss. It's no lo use. I'm losing consciousness. And as he starts to black out, he flashes back to when he was a younger man, when his father was a lord who, who owned land, but he didn't give him any of his land. He says, I, I can't, because previous generations have been dividing this land among their sons until only this small plot that we have remains. So I'm going to leave all of it to my eldest son, and you must live here as his assistant. And so, of course, he was really angry about this, and so he decided that if he wanted his own domain, he would have to steal it. So he went and he learned military, he learned strategy, and he declared as he was training a warrior without land is no warrior at all and he trained so aggressively that he chipped up his sword and so he's just been driven by anger and desire and greed and he admits that stealing became a pleasure at some point and to assuage my despair i sold children into the same hopeless darkness i was pursued everywhere 
I tried to reverse my fortune through war, but I lost and rose no higher. And uh, we see a samurai figure haunting him. We don't see their face or even if they're a real person or they're just like, you know, some ghostly visage that declares to him, you are always in darkness. You should flee war away. You should flee far away where your pursuers cannot follow. There must be a place in the light somewhere. But in response, he said, you know, don't lie to me. There is no light anywhere. But then in the midst of the darkness, suddenly he sees a spark. It glows into a great shining light. And he says to himself, what is this that shines before me now? And it's Tokiyuki dancing around and having a good old time while blood flows, flies everywhere, but smiling angelically. And so the bandit lays down his sword, realizing I can't win. Any boy who can wear such a pure smile in this hellish world is no mere mortal. He even smiles upon me. He must be a Buddha. And he clasps his hands in prayer and then collapses to his knees dead. And uh, Tokyuki looks a bit sad about this, but uh, that's uh, kind of it. Yeah, we get... A, I guess uh, we'll never find out if those were real ants or just a, a pattern on his kimono. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems that Kusunoki might uh, be saying up as a, as a future uh, demon tag opponent, possibly, but uh, we'll see. And uh, then we kind of close the chapter with a little uh, I don't I'm not familiar with this uh, this poem or scripture or whatever it is, but it says that uh, a merciful blade may terminate in what is a vision of hell. What vanquishes the demons in turbulent times is demon heart Buddha blade sacred or wicked. And uh, they open up the hut where Tokuyuki had the fight. Ayako and Kodro rush to him and embrace him. And uh, Fubuki has food. And so he's happy too. So Thank goodness. Yeah. So uh, that seems to be basically the end of the, of the, of the battle. Uh, all of our you know, main characters involved are accounted for. Uh, except for Shizuku, but she's not a combatant. So um, yeah, I thought this was a nice chapter. It's, it was an interesting note to end on. I will say uh, this kind of flashback that doesn't paint our villains sympathetically, really, but just kind of gives him more depth than I just like, you know, killing people. <laughs> I like killing people and then selling their children off. <laughs> like, Yeah, I do agree on that. Um, I think it was a cool way to kind of close out the two fights, too, where one is won by just absolute superior skill. And then the other one is this very special technique that. Uh, Tokiyuki is just really good with and ends this guy in like a way that almost is beautiful but is very macabre in its beauty essentially it's 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 a very interesting uh a little end to a a sequence yeah um now that we're at the point now where we know that the the, the elusive samurai is doing very well um it feels like this is the part of the series where like okay now it's time to like, hey, get ready for like stuff that's going to be happening down the road. Mm. Here's, you know, like little hints of things for you to look forward to. And that gets me really excited. 
uh, because I've been enjoying stuff so far. But now I was like, oh, hey, I can like, you know, feel that sense of excitement and anticipation for other stuff ahead. And that's really nice to have because this is a very well done series. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right, Nick, let's move on to Black Clover, page 297, The Descent, with a cover page of Noelle sure doing something. Yeah, um, she's stabbing the roof. Yes. What's happening. And a particular kind of pose. It is uh, quite a thing. Uh, So last time, Noelle stabbed Vanica. It was uh, very intimidating. Vanica strikes back by, like, shooting out a bunch of her blood magic and just stabbing a whole bunch of things. Uh, we actually, Charlotte's helping by using her thorns, uh, her rose, whatever it was, a thorn magic is what she uses, but she's covered in roses. Anyway, she summons those to kind of help pull back some of the blades, it looks like. Um, but Vanica is just going crazy. She's very excited. Noelle, there's a sequence of chapters, and Noelle ends uh, having beat the living shit and shirt off of Vanica. Uh, holds a blade to her throat and is basically like, yeah, I've beaten you. And I do kind of like this touch because Vanica's like, oh, is this my turn now? Do I get to be the rival who chases you and gets stronger? No, I was like, fucking no, I'm ending you right here. What are you talking about? You've you've hurt a lot of people that are really close to me. So no, I'm going to kill you so you can't hurt anyone else. Uh, So we do hear uh, a voice to say, you really are intriguing, Vanica. However, this won't do, and it's Medjakula who explains Lucifer, Lucifero, and the others haven't noticed us, and there are the there are the three souls of three vastly powerful mages of the same sex here. The preparation for my descent are in place, and uh, all of uh, Charlotte's roses start to wither and. And, and disappeared like oh it's the power of the curse this is impossible but there's no mistake about it that is Medjakula and the flesh and we see uh, the demon behind what kind of looks to be like a corrupted husk at this point of Vanica uh, most of her body is just sort of covered in blackness and we just see like one arm and one leg still have a little bit of life to it and then like an eye it's probably the most like demonic creepy demon design that we've seen so far because uh-huh. everything else at this point is like horns wings but this is like okay you actually feel the corrupting presence of it and looking at it, you're like that's just like wrong she's covered in what i hope her eyes um, <laughs> i don't know they look like, like sea sponges or something like that i feel like they're meant to be evocative of giant uh like breasts or some kind or something like that but that probably wouldn't fly unless uh, Fujimoto was drawing it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can just draw boobs? Yeah, sure, no one stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> no one said anything. Uh, Medjugorje just says, I've been with Vanica a long time. I do sympathize. However, once Vanica and Lolo Pachika die, my manifestation will be complete. Uh, and we see uh, Raja, I believe, get kind of cut down by Medjugorje, who has also been uh, kind of a little bit more demonified. At least I think. She might have looked like that before, but I, f- I forgot what she looked like a couple chapters back. Uh, and she just says, before that happens, I'll let you brawl one more time. If you all die together, you won't be lonely. Isn't that right, humans? So, looks like that's where we're going to be going. Yeah, this, uh... 
this went from great to really, really bad for Noel. I wasn't, I was expecting obviously that this fight wouldn't end with Noel just stab at Vanica and that's it. But um, it was interesting to see, like, yeah, she just destroyed her while wow. she was just Vanica. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So to have the demon be unleashed here, it was, it did definitely seem like, okay, that's a necessary turn in order to keep this sequence going. But uh, I uh, have no idea what the hell they're going to do in order to even survive this, let alone beat Megagula. I assume this is a chance to let Charlotte also look cool to have her maybe do something here and potentially real, like maybe like a combination of them. Or it'll turn out that Gray uh, has been practicing a spell that can just beat anyone. And so she comes in with no warning. And it'll also be the coolest thing that's happened. Everyone months. will say they're like, this is the coolest thing. I'm so glad uh, Gray got her moment. Yeah. And Noel will be like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Yep. One Piece. Chapter 1017, The Order. Uh, so Tama uh, is still alive she's okay uh she hasn't been taken down and also uh all, all that stuff went out by bao huang uh letting people know that um various you know uh high-ranking members of uh Kaido's army have been defeated um and so everyone looks up to where this has gone down you know from up from down to the performance floor and so queen sees tama and she's like who are you, little girl? And she just like, freaks out and falls over unconscious. She's scared. She's yeah. Sick. She's very intimidating. Yeah. So, uh, then we cut over to the fourth floor where uh, who's who and friends are fighting with Jimbei, and we see like the aftermath of one of who's who's uh, people firing a gun at Jimbei, and who's who's like, oh, you're not going to complain, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So. You're not gonna play, and Jimbei just says, "Well, we took five thousand against an army of thirty thousand. We always knew we were going to be outnumbered, and I never expected you would have a fair one-on-one fight with me." Fair enough. Jimbei knows what's up. He's yeah. he's one of, he's a former warlord. He knows how this works. <laughs> so, uh, and he says that his job and the jobs of you know the other straw hats are to keep the uh, officers uh, occupied. Uh, Frankie is struggling with some people. We cut over to see Dogstorm, who is also having a lot of difficulty with Jack because Jack's got a bunch of other dudes with swords. Uh, and also, Dogstorm Dog can't transform now. Um, and uh, we just, you know, kind of get established like, God, this number's advantage really sucks. If only something would turn the tide. And so we cut back over to Nami and Usopp, and they rouse Tama by um, encouraging her. Yeah. I guess she didn't actually faint. She was just a little bit intimidated by the freaking cyborg Brachiosaurus. Sorry, that's a spoiler, it turns out. <laughs> Queen, <laughs> Queen hadn't told anyone he was a cyborg. Um, so we, know, she, we knew Queen was a cyborg. Yeah, but they make a joke about that at a certain point. Oh, I think, he maybe, I think maybe he's trying to hide it from the people he knows, maybe. I don't know. He's I a weirdo. Yes, he is a not character, so. Um, so Tama from the tower up above the performance floor, she starts yelling and she says, Hey, everyone who's eaten my millet dumplings, all my friends, 
you've got to change sides and you've got to fight for big bro Luffy and Momonosuke. Upon which we cut to Luffy. He's okay. He's <laughs> doing all right. He's with John Bart. He's okay. There's there's squeezing water out of his mouth. He's going to be fine. They'll slip a few bandits on. They'll be okay. <laughs> Uh, also, Shinobu and Momonosuke are fine. Momonosuke is crying in Shinobu's arms going, we were so high up! So, yes. Yes, you were. Yeah. But she, Tama finishes this by saying to all the people who have eaten her dumplings, you've got to help us beat Kaido. And of course, the tide turns immediately. All, we just get this huge montage of all people, all these different uh, gifters who are turning on everyone. A number of the people that we actually saw before, like the giraffe dude, they are turning on people. Uh, just immediately turning on their allies and stuff. And we cut to where uh, the guests were with their Othello board thing. Uh, it's Othello now because they're all going to flip over. Guys. Yes. Shut up. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and they're like, oh, my God, everyone's out of control. What's happening? And Queen realizes, oh, did that little kid do this? And gets ready to fire a breath weapon. But Sanji comes in to save the day, kicks Queen in the head, uh, and he's like, God damn it. It's Judge's son again. And Sanji's like, don't say that name in front of me. Uh, and then Sanji says, unprovoked, are you part of his insane research team or something? And Queen's like, why? <laughs> Years ago, I was part of Mads. That's right. I'll come straight with you. I am a cyborg. And he takes his humanoid form. and He's got robotic limbs and a robotic <laughs> tail. And Sanji's like, was it supposed to be a secret that you're a cyborg? <laughs> hey, and all uh, those uh, brontosauruses that had a uh, fucking robot claws. Yeah. <laughs> and segmented tails with like a big robot tendril running through them. Listen, I get all of my fossil record knowledge from my Transformers toys. So, yeah, I do remember That's that. That's got to be pretty helpful. Um, Sanji briefly checks with how Chopper is doing because Chopper, of course, is trying to help out Zoro. Because of the Rumble Ball side effect, Chopper is now in quote-unquote baby geezer form, which is like his regular form, but slightly smaller, and he talks like an old man. It's really hard to tell if he's also supposed to look like an old man. He doesn't. He's too small and cute. So, there you go. There you go. Tiny, tiny cutesy Chopper. I'm Ooh, sure there's many people trying to buy a, a keychain of him right now. Absolutely. Look at how big that helmet is on him. Aw. It he looks identical to regular chopper. I don't like. I was like, I don't like. Everyone was like, "Oh, baby chopper." I was like, "Is it?" It looks the same as fucking regular chopper. I mean, I guess you can tell that he is really, really small because he fits in the nurse's palms. But whatever. Uh, so they uh are like, okay, well, we've got this medicine. Uh, but uh, I don't know about this. Uh, we've got uh, you've got this medicine from Zoe with ultra regenerative effects. And the doctor goat says, well, yes, but it's only temporary. And you suffer twice as much later. And Zoro's like, whatever, give it to me. I gotta fight now. I'll just be in pain later. It's not like I've never done that before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we cut to the fourth floor. <laughs> There's, I'm sorry. I don't know what. Who's who goes to draw his katana? Except it's a little knife. <laughs> it's just a silly little joke. He also fires it like a pistol. I don't know. It's a very confusing weapon. Uh, Jinbei counters it with Fishman Karate. They start exchanging strikes with some kicks and punches. And then who's who lands. And uh, 
Jinbei realizes, ah, those are the six powers of the fighting abilities of the government agents, which reminds me, I heard about a member of the secret government agency, CP9, who escaped from jail. It seems strange that a secret agent would be in prison, however. And who's who goes into his hybrid form and says, I can't believe you remember that. To which I say, yeah. <laughs> yep, we all remembered that. Yeah. I am doing this reread of One Piece, and it's astonishing how many things they say once, and you're just like, I guess I was meant to remember this six years later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, because I think that was mentioned probably back in either Impel Down, or probably maybe even they might have mentioned it back in, like, Enos Lobby. Like, I don't even know. So, yeah. A lot of little details, Nick. You just gotta dig into the reads and you find a, you find nuggets you didn't even realize you were missing. I'm sure that'll be the only reference to a past event in One Piece that comes up in this chapter. <laughs> so who's who says, yeah, that is me. I didn't, I, I don't know how you know me. I happen to like what I am now, but I went through hell because of a single little mistake 12 years ago. You know, they used to say I had just as much potential as the genius Rob Lucci. Who is they? Is is they you? Is is that is they you and the people you pay to say that? <laughs> Ma, uh, very possibly. Yeah. Uh, he launches. He launches his energy teeth at Jimbe. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think this is like uh, it's um, uh, Shigan. I think was the Japanese term. I don't know, finger gun or something like that. Um, I think he's just doing that with his teeth. Is the implication. Mm. Um, but Jinbei says, yeah, you know, I pity that you, you know, wound up in prison like that, but I mean, I don't have anything to do with that. So, oh, well, but who's who says, ah, but that's where you're wrong. You called yourself the helmsman of the straw hat crew very proudly. And the mention of that name brings back the bitter past. 12 years ago, a devil fruit was stolen from a government ship. And when Straw Hat Luffy appeared two years ago, I was shocked to learn the truth that Straw Hat had eaten the very gum gum fruit that was stolen from that ship. Bum bum bum. <laughs> Turns out who's who has a grudge against Luffy. I have no idea what the implication of this is meant to be. Uh, I can tell you this right now. I could not give less of a shit about the backstory of the ship that they took the gum gum fruit from. Uh, I don't know if this is meant to just be a justification for who's who having like a, like an attitude against the straw hats. Um, but this is one of the, like, so I'm rereading one piece right now, uh, starting with the time skip basically. And I'm currently in the middle of Dressrosa and I'm like, you know what? This does read a lot better in the, uh, when you just go cat chapter to chapter. And it's primarily because of fucking chapters like this, where you get to the end and you're like, what's the fucking point? And then you have to read like 16 chapters. You're like, oh, that was the point or whatever. Like, right. I, I don't know what the implication of this is meant to be. I can't like, I'll, I'll be open minded. I'll listen to what the implication is supposed to be. But right now, just like, I can't fathom giving a shit. It was interesting to see all of the one piece, you know, like, oh, my God, new lore. People freak out about this. And I was just like, all right. Do you think that like, um. I think that like Oda was you know trying to figure out the series. He was talking with his assistants, and uh, he uh, was like, "All right, I uh, I need a I need a name for this character. Uh, 
a name for a character because uh, he's this guy who uh, he's got this long uh, backstory that no one's ever heard of about, uh, you know, he's, that ties into Luffy and stuff. And there's a, uh, sorry, who, who are you talking about, Oda, Oda Sensei? Who, who, who's who's who? Who's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, people are saying maybe this meant the, the, the world government cared about Luffy's gum gum fruit, but that just feels like a retcon if that's what they're going to do. They already established there was a stronger version of Luffy's fruit in the Bochi fruit who another character already like i just like in my mind i'm like i just don't care like i master splinter knows karate i didn't need him to find a book in the sewer that explains how he knows karate i don't care i d- the ninja turtles just existed they didn't have to be april o'neill's pets you don't have to explain everything not everything has to be fucking connected to something all right luffy just ate a fucking fruit that shank stole from a ship i don't care <sighs> yeah so this is weird but yeah that's it that's uh, we that, finally that's got what... to see more who's who though after like fucking three months are you happy with what we got though chris <laughs> yeah. i mean he looks kind of cool i just don't care for this cliffhanger all right that's that is it that's it for weekly manga recap guys yes. let's go over our favorite series and our mvp for this week chris what you got for me oh boy um Favorite series is honestly a little tough for me. Um, I guess I'm going to give it to my hero. I really like that ending. I'm not super sold in the chapter as a whole, but I, I do think the ending was very cool. Ooh, man. Going through everything was just kind of like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. All you know right. what? I Actually, I guess instead, let me go with the one I guess that made a, I, I guess a more complete impression. That's probably the elusive samurai. That's what I got to go with, too. Um, I think that the only other series that I would really consider is uh, Magu-chan. Uh, just because, like, all right, this was nice. And it was mm-hmm. a nice, complete package all the way through. And that's how I feel about the Elusive Samurai as well. But because it was, you know, so much more memorable in the stuff that happened, I'm going to give it for that. So Yeah. My uh, character of the week, I'm going to give to Wahlberg, though. I think it was... Ex- I, I really like that moment of him being like, oh... You wanted a spell. I'm just doing the wand. If you want a spell, and then just fucking just beats the guy immediately. And uh, I'll give mine to Rebecca for those tasty legs of hers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was such an unnerving thing to hear. <laughs> uh, oh, da, 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 uh, um, um, I'll give mine to Ruru. Because uh, that was a nice gesture she made for everyone, doing shooting stars for everyone to make wishes on. It was sweet. So there you go. I don't know. I, uh, I don't think that there were a lot of characters that stood out this week, honestly. So uh well, wow. the the audience picked Spy Family as their series of the week, and then Fabuki from uh, the Elusive Samurai ended up winning Character of the Week. Fair enough. All right, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you for joining us here on twitch.tv slash RolloT, where we record the show Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 7.30 Eastern time, but you can stay updated on exactly when that's going to happen by following us on Twitter. Uh, at WMR Podcast is the official podcast account. You can follow that to know when new episodes that have been recorded go up on our various sources. Uh, hosts are Nick F. Time, Rolo T. And uh, you can follow us on uh, YouTube, on uh, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere podcasts can uh, get put up. Uh, main site is weeklymagarecap.podbean.com and, of course, YouTube for the video versions. 
And uh, if you also want to get the exact word when things go live, we post it to the Discord server. Check out our community there. It's great. We have uh, our community does bi-weekly uh, gaming nights. Uh, there are discussion th- uh, rooms for the series that we are covering for recommendation, the series that get covered week to week as well, and uh, all sorts of uh, different offshoot uh, conversations happen there as well. We want to extend a special thanks to Ninja X3i for maintaining the spreadsheet, which you can also find through the Discord server, which keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with the show, including recommendations. Recommend your own series. Add your voice to a recommendation that's already been slapped down so that we know what people are interested in, so we know what to uh, pick out for uh, coming weeks. Uh, And uh, you can also... uh, Patreon! Thank you for supporting us (laughs) on Patreon. You allow us to create fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. And we want to as well extend special thanks to Steve Mann, our tile card artist. You can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And check out his thumbnails that he is making for us. Occasionally you'll see that co- those come up on the videos that get posted to YouTube. And uh, last but not least, we want to extend thanks to Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsleydale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see at the beginning of every episode as it is posted to our YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, I guess, uh, did we did we say Steve Mann? Yes. Okay. I just want to note, uh, thanks to him again. He actually, uh, we're, we're getting title cards again. We have one for Love Stage out there. You'll see them every so often then. And I think Steve Mann Art is his uh, Twitter handle. That's what he uses at the moment. Mm. My, voice, my throat's dry right now. All right. Well, that's going to do it then. We have nothing else to add. We've said everything that needs to be said. Yeah. Except uh, the N-word, but we're not going to say that. No, no sorry. Uh, Naruto? Uh, oh, I guess we could say that N-word. That's also, yeah. We could say that one, I think. Okay. Fingers crossed. I don't, I'm not 100% certain if we're allowed to say that one. Yeah, is that our word? Can only ninjas say that word? That's another N-word I don't know if we're allowed to use. Ninjas? Yeah, I don't, well, don't keep saying it. Ninjas. Jesus. Don't give Jesus Christ. Oh I God, say stop. it every episode. I'm going to have to stop recording. Is this it is the plural that is the problem. Because I say ninja every episode. It, it, is it, you can't say ninja with a hard ER. That's <laughs> the issue. <laughs> Reninja? I don't get it. <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs>